Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Aiken. And I am your other co-host, Brian Kuyper. And we are still in spooky season. We're still talking about ghosts. We love ghosts around here. And so we've got another double feature lined up for you. That's all about ghosts. A little bit different than the haunted house ones. Subtly. Uh, the ghosts subtly different the ghosts in these movies have a little bit more of a reach than just one location which i thought was a cool like tie-in for the the two of them that i hadn't really realized at first they send the protagonists off on a mystery to discover how they became a ghost they do yeah so that works out pretty good this is a surprising double feature but i enjoy it that it works (laughs) as well as it does yeah yeah you know because hey, uh, there's there's a lot to there's connections of course to houses in both of them, but the like you said the ghosts aren't you know like anchored to that place, and that's something that you kind of see a lot in ghost movies where they're kind of like anchored to one particular location, and there's not really anything to yep. get them get the characters necessarily out into the world, but this one. Both of these do that. So we're going to start off with my pick, even though I love your movie, too. So that totally could have been a pick, but, you know. Uh, we're going to talk first about Stir of Echoes from 1999. Yeah. And then uh, after that, we're going to talk about my pick, which is The Changeling from 1980. A still woefully underseen but truly great ghost movie. Classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. I think more people are seeing it now. There's a couple of Blu-rays available from yeah. different companies. And I had to, I've seen this in multiple formats over the years. I finally tracked down a DVD a few years ago. And then, you know, like two months later, the Blu-rays came out. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> all good. I have the Blu-ray now and I'm I happy do too, with yeah. it. Yeah. So the Severin, I think. Yeah. I have the Severin one. Yeah. Yep. And it's got the soundtrack, which, you know, is another cool thing about it. Okay. But that's the next movie. We're talking about Stir of Echoes first. Hey, honestly, I would almost consider this one a classic too <laughs> in its own way. Yeah. A modern, it, it, a modern it, classic. It, it's it a lot is, better I think. than I think it's probably give reputation yeah well i mean it came out the same year as the sixth sense which you know kind of swallowed up everything that had to do with you know anything supernatural of that year but there were a lot of ghost movies that came out around that time right you know we're talking about this we the the others others. what lies beneath and even like the ring and stuff were coming around uh the american versions of them were coming out around this time the grudge and stuff so they're the early Late 90s, early 2000s were sort of a great... Oh, did I mention the others? I already yes. said the others, didn't I? Oh, okay, sorry. I'm old. I forget things very quickly. That was so, like less than um, a minute ago. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Whew. But yeah, but, this hey. has always been a favorite, I think, of that bunch, even though I do love the others and what lies beneath and everything like that. But um, yeah. in terms of like the Sixth Sense think, versus Stir yeah. of Echoes, which is always the debate that comes up when you talk about this movie. Because um, they're the same year, yeah. Stir of Echoes is always one for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't want to discount the Sixth Sense because I think it is a good movie that has been sort of, uh, it was overpraised for a while, I think. And, and because of that, it kind of got a lot of backlash, you know? Uh, I, but I do think it is a 
really well constructed and written and created film and and I th- it, you know it's it's not actually my favorite Shyamalan I think Signs is probably my favorite Shyamalan but it's a better movie than I think it was I think the Oscar stuff connected to it was a little much uh, for a lot of people and things like that but uh it was uh, it's a good film and so I don't want to discount that but I quite no. like this one No there was uh, just always is, something that I, I I related a lot more to, or I had just a lot more that I responded to better in, in Stir of Echoes than, yeah. than The Sixth Sense. And, and I still do. And that's still one of the, the ma- main elements of why I love this one so much. Well, something I just thought of is, you know, with The Sixth Sense, Shyamalan was trying to create a feature length Twilight Zone kind of thing where you have the twist, right? Well, this movie not only is going the Twilight Zone route a little bit, but it was written by one of the best writers of the Twilight Zone ever, Mm. Richard Matheson, based on his novel, at least. And he really wanted to do something different with the ghost story with this, you know, by, again, putting a modern element onto it. This And, you know, some of those things had been hijacked into other (laughs) kinds of movies before this one came around. So by the time it was made into a film, it maybe wasn't quite as like, oh my gosh, there's something totally new. The paranormal kind of yeah, the novels from all the stuff, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. So, but so by now you've you've already had uh, Poltergeist and and uh, movies like that that have taken that angle. But this is a really solid filming of his of that novel and those ideas and i think it is there's an immediacy to it that i really like and there's just efficiency in the storytelling and Mm. the the filming style of it the character development even though it doesn't feel like i mean we don't know a lot about these people's lives i think we know enough to really fall in love with them that's again like i said that's one of the reasons why uh, i like this movie so much is that this these people uh, this family has always been like one of the most relatable real families to me, like in movies mm-hmm. in general. Yeah, yeah I, I feel, like I I know feel that people, way too. You know? very, there's a very uh, blue collar exactly. natural sense to them. And, uh, you know, I love sort of the, you feel like Chicago here. You're having yeah. these block parties and you've got the different sort of community elements going on as well that I, that I like a lot about it. Yeah. Um, so it's well, going back to works really well. Real, real quick. Uh, talking about writers again. Like, Hey, so yeah, this is based off of a Richard Matheson book, but um, it was written by, I think one of our, one of the best, like kind of modern writers we have. Screenwriters. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. David Kep. He's one oh, of those goodness. guys yeah, that absolutely. is like you, you may not know his name, but you love probably a lot of the movies that he was involved in. Just writing. Shall I? Uh, Death Becomes Her. Name yeah, a I, few. I, yeah, I've got Death Becomes Her, The Paper, Mission Impossible, Jurassic Park, <laughs> Spider Man, Carlito's Way, Panic Room, Co- Snake Eyes, Panic Room, War, War of the, the Worlds, Worlds, The Mummy, yeah. The New Mummy, Kimmy, Kimmy, yeah, yeah, which is a good recent film. Ooh, Secret Garden. Or secret window. Secret window. <laughs> yeah, secret I was going to mention that. Uh, he's also uh, yeah. he's only directed like ten movies. 
movies, I want to say. Yeah. So he did this one um, and Secret Window, which is actually one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. I really like that yeah, one. Because <laughs> the original novel fun. was Secret Window, Secret Garden, Secret Garden. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So and then he it's and... not the Secret Garden like the story of the little girl <laughs> in the, from India. Sorry. I got you. I got you. Um, yeah. And then he and Kevin Bacon um, teamed up mm-hmm. again recently uh, for another like kind of not really a haunted house, but like a I've seen it. So it's like a weird thing going on with the house that he's in with. Uh, you should have left. Oh, right. Yeah. That's an Which interesting I, movie. So I, yeah. I had I have not seen that one. Um, it's pretty cool. it, it, the one that I've been wanting to see from several years ago from 1994 is The Paper. It's yes, uh, you with, would love uh, Michael, The Paper. With Michael Keaton, I've, directed by Ron Howard. I've never seen that. I've always kind of wanted to. It's very uh, good. That's one that's on my radar. I just recently watched Ghost Town, which I think is kind of underrated. I think it's a pretty good movie. I know Ricky Gervais gets a lot of shit because people think he's a lot to take, which I understand, but... I like him a lot in that movie, and I, I like a certain period of his stuff I think is really entertaining. So David Kep, I think, is he's kind of Spielberg's go-to script doctor. Uh, if he needs something worked on, he will send it over to Mr. Kep as well. Yeah. So And he does it well. And I think he does a he great does. job with um, directing this as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of really cool uh, elements that he, the way yeah. he films like certain scenes, um, the transitions and stuff are really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, that's one of the things I was going to mention was those transitions are really cool, uh, really clever. And I like how like it sets up right at the beginning here. Yeah, a big part of uh, why I like that. A big part of the character motivation um, in the story is that whole like blue collar element to their lives where they especially the main character tom feels like he's very ordinary you know that's like a Mm -hmm. a big thing throughout and he's getting involved with this whole ghost thing makes him feel a little bit more important but and i i always like this because again it's like i i like these people i know these people they're not like the stuffy parents you know that you see in other movies they're like kind of laid back they're really cool the way they dress and everything and the way that they they talk to each other is very much mm-hmm. like i remember like uh, my family you know talking and other people they don't even sure they don't own their own house you know they rent yeah this is always this dynamic has always been so much more relatable to me than mm-hmm. literally anything else i've ever seen in a movie yeah you know? so much of it they're I, I love and I love a good uh, midlife crisis movie. Sure, <laughs> uh, and that's what you have here. Not just from Kevin Bacon's character Tom, but from his wife too. To some extent, she's trying to. She seems kind of content. She, she, she's she's more content, and she's like dealing with his crisis Mm -hmm. and then you have all these other guys there's a party scene where it's like they're all trying to pretend they're still in college right (laughs) which i find really funny and actually kind of entertaining and to some extent i i I never was that kind of a guy but it was there's a certain relatability to that as well and also right from the beginning i think the kid yeah the the, honestly dead (laughs) Is it hard to be? Okay, so literally, yeah. he sees dead people. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wonder if I don't know Mr. if he can Shyamalan, see them. If if Mr. Shyamalan uh, did in fact at least read the book before setting out to make the Sixth Sense, because there's uh, there's just I mean this almost if you squint your eyes and look at it blurry, it's almost plays like a 
prequel to that movie. Kind of. <laughs> you know, the way it ends up, you're like, this could happen to his parents and he ends up, you know, off with Bruce Willis somewhere. You know, I mean, this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Almost, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, this kind of could be the next sort of chapter of this story in a way. Um, but yeah, I love that setup because at first it's like you think it's sort of like a kid actor who... It, it sets it up almost like it takes advantage of the idea that, you know, the kid actors really struggle, you know, new actors with like not looking at the camera. Oh, you know, when he looks you, right at the camera, he looks directly yeah. down the down the barrel of the camera and he's saying these lines. You're like, well, that's weird. It's kind of upsetting. It kind of is off putting way more but, effective. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, I see. <laughs> and he's asking us as the audience, you know, does it hurt to be dead? Um, it, it, it's very uh, effective start to the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then Ileana I, Douglas yeah, is one of my yeah, again, favorite I love characters this, in this. Yeah, I love this whole thing, the introduction of her character um, um, as Maggie's sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maggie's um, Catherine uh, Herb, Herbie, I think how you say it? Uh, Herb? Yeah, I, I, think just Herb? I think it's it, I think it's Herbie. I'm not I, sure, though. I've always loved her from she was on... Um, Law and Order, Criminal Intent mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. Detective Eames. And she's great. And I love her character so much um, in this movie. And uh, again, this this conversation that they have when um, she's pregnant again, and they're having that conversation in the kitchen where, you know, talking about like her taking time off, you know, not being able to afford it and having to make sacrifices, like not playing in your band anymore, making sacrifices for mm-hmm. your family. Again, it's all that like relatable, like stuff that people go through and yeah when you're like a blue collar <laughs> worker like I, I don't know like there again it's just i i always like that depiction of yeah. them in this movie and and, and i like the, his little exchanges where he's like i'm happy i'm a happy guy and he's not. no he's not <laughs> um it's like and i didn't expect to be famous i just didn't expect to be so ordinary is yeah. uh, you know that's the powerful feeling for you know a lot of guys of a certain age you know Absolutely. i just didn't expect to be so average you know and i think that's kind of the point of what this movie is telling it too is. is that like uh-huh. is being ordinary really that bad of a thing when right. you are confronted with the reality of the world or like what's lurking underneath like even mm-hmm. in the best neighborhoods in the world, in the yeah. city, that you think you found this great little family where you have block parties every week and everything, right? Which you know, maybe being, cool. maybe just being ordinary really isn't that bad, <laughs> right? Right. Now, again, it just makes me laugh when they're out at the party together and they're all. There's like, so many funny little moments. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, they're totally pretending they're still in college and acting. It's like it's so bizarre in a way, but. <laughs> Of course, the real, where it really gets there is one that's sort of like the party's dissipated a little bit. You've got the little group sitting around. They're talking about hypnosis um, with Ileana so- Douglas as Lisa <laughs> sort of leading up the conversation. I, I I really like that part. This scene, I it's like one of the best parts of the movie. And it's like five minutes into the movie. <laughs> I know. Which is crazy. I always forget about that every time I watch it. I was like, this, this is so soon. I That it, it just, just like 
kicks it right off. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, what do you say about this hypnosis scene? It's so brilliant the way that it's done. I I even like the the whole setup to it too, where they're having the conversation, but he holds the camera on Tom Mm -hmm. the whole time. He's like, yeah do me and everything i yeah. know it's just, you can kind of get you get his facial expressions the whole time and it's like you're really getting into his character yeah and he's clearly a skeptic which is an important element of his character i mean it's like heavily a skeptic it's like you're not gonna be able to hypnotize me you know this is all bullshit and then her response to that is a great line which is just because you kicked around the same six blocks your whole life doesn't mean there isn't a whole larger world out there yeah. And he gets way more than he bargained for. But. <laughs> and just the way that, that again, the way that this part is filmed, you know, he, they do that little effect of like the eyes mm-hmm. closing. Mm-hmm. So that kind of puts mm-hmm. the audience in Tom's chair <laughs> with him, you know, right. like sitting, right. sitting there listening to her voice, almost getting hypnotized ourselves. And right. the way her, the cadence of her voice, the, the yeah. I love Ileana Douglas for, uh, oh, she's just, course. she's fantastic yeah. overall, but just like her voice is perfect for this. Yeah. She also drops a little moment where she says, you know, I shouldn't be hypnotizing someone who's been drinking and is so hostile <laughs> you're not supposed to mesmerize someone who's been drinking and then they laugh at her for saying yeah. mesmerize i like that <laughs> right i know well I mean, yeah, she doesn't true. really know what she's doing <laughs> that's not, part not of a it professional too. no she's she's still learning <laughs> yeah. how to do it from someone uh, who's like a stage hypnotist or something i mean it's not even it, it's a little shady how she's learned how to do this it seems to me too but he still he still does it. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's good like at a, it. Yeah. And the way it's like the yeah the the way that the scene changes, like the vision in his mind changes as she's changing mm. the description. Imagine you're in a theater and it's like a like a play, a like play. a live yeah. action theater and like a movie theater, it, and it changes to movie theater. The and then screen comes down. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then everything everything turns black. I. Love that. I mean, the obviously, that, they're instead of it just like changing black, it like yeah. drips down like paint or like blood. Kind sure, of black. exactly. Yeah, and these are fairly early uh, digital effects, but they work pretty good. I mean, oh, they like. they still hold up pretty well. And I love the the whole idea the the blurred words on the screen, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they just come into sharp focus and say sleep. So good. Uh, I've always been like just such a huge fan of like just that scene. I think that scene alone like really helps kind of elevate this movie, honestly. Yeah. Just because it's it's so well done. And then he gets like little glimpses, you know, while he's under of uh, what happened to the ghost. Well, and then when like congratulations, Tom, you're one of the lucky 8%. So he's not ordinary in that way. That's true. And just also, like, kind of, again, like, having to talk about the movie, knowing the ending and knowing the yeah, twists and everything. Course. One of the reasons why this this works so well with the Changeling, too, like, the, like I said, the the reach that the ghosts have, they're actually, they're in the house across the street, right, while they're right. doing this. The ghost body yep. is in his house. Yeah. So that's, that's also what kind of makes it interesting that it's not just tied to that one place it's just the fact that his being under hypnosis and her giving him that post-hypnotic suggestion that we find out later on you know that that's a your mind is going to be completely open to Mm -hmm. everything you know to receive anything it just kind of has has made him more open to receive 
the messages from the ghost and he's just she's just the one that has reached him uh the nighttime sex scene um, <laughs> i like the little flashbacks he's having too back to being yeah. in hypnosis where you see him actually floating in the ah, chair yeah. toward the scene the, the screen right. uh-huh. i thought that's pretty cool the the just the idea of having those images while you're i mean you're in the midst of something pleasurable and and mm-hmm. and fun and etc and then you just have these horrible visions of nail trauma and, and all that It'd yeah be like, that would be awful oh man and, and it's that not whole... just that he's having visions of like seeing yeah. it he's in the ghost right. position like actually yeah. probably like feeling like whatever she was what? feeling in that moment yeah. too yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I mean the the, the thing like, pulling out the tooth. I mean, it's like stuff from the fly. It's like it's like body horror, <laughs> you know. And I'm sorry to do two movies in a row with nail trauma, with and then nail add trauma. and then adding a tooth trauma <laughs> to it, yeah. like within the same like couple of minutes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't. It's, I forgot. I didn't realize I did that. But yeah, I, I cannot something. look at that that shot of the nail. I can't. <laughs> I, I still can do it. Rewatching oh, it's, this movie. it's rough. It's rough. I, I, it's funny because I think it's those relatable things that are like yeah. so much worse. Absolutely. Um, like again in in the fly, the part where he's pulling off his own. I can watch that whole movie without much trouble, except the part where he's pulling off his fingernail. I mean, yeah. it's just like the worst. Any, anytime anybody does that, it's like, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. But to the tooth thing, I don't have as much of a problem with my brother. No, no. My brother, I hate teeth stuff. So I remember him saying something about this and he's like, I don't like that movie. He pulls out his own tooth. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, some, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, people got different things. I mean, yeah. for me, I think seeing, seeing like paper cuts and, and yes. uh, fingernail stuff is the ones that really bother me. Uh, but the, then when he just goes into the living room and just turns on the TV and the camera, the way the camera pulls back and she's just there mm-hmm. is it's just, it's really well directed because and they it's, bring that back later yeah. and it's really effective. It's kind of funny so, when they bring it back later, but it's yeah, kind of well, because you don't because there's nothing there and they keep yeah. swinging the camera back and forth. And he's but like, it's not he's trying to make her appear to him. Yeah, but it's effective stylistically. It's not like showy either. This feels you know? like a. Uh, even though he does do like a, a mirror thing later on in the mm-hmm. movie, this sort of feels like a like a mirror scare type of thing. Where you, oh yeah, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> it wasn't there before, but you pan back and there it is. Like closing the medicine cabinet door. Yes, kind of thing. Yeah, gotcha. he does that later with um, Maggie and the ghost, right. but but she can't see her, so it's different. but she can't see it. So she her reaction is just uh, is nothing, mm-hmm. and so so it's not like the same kind of jump scare it's really kind of interesting and then there's more kind of fun stuff i think with the family again like just with the conversations that they have and there's something that lisa says later on in the movie is like you know honestly like i give tom a lot of shit but you two are like one of the best couples i've ever seen and it's like i really feel that and i really believe that just in the yeah. way that they're very much equals like mm-hmm. she doesn't put up with any shit <laughs> we see later on. Right. And but there's still a lot of respect and a lot of love and just just fun. Yes. They're just a lot of fun people. Like I, I like this um conversation that they have when he's like, uh, you know, we I the, he's trying to describe what he saw the night before and she's telling him to like you know, call Lisa to you know, like my brain's fucked and you need to call her and tell her to unfuck it and then he like stumbles and he says fuck again and she goes you don't swear so much it's like <laughs> I don't know I like this little little exchanges that that they have yeah 
There's also a neat little moment with, uh, I like the moments with the kid too, mm-hmm. Jake. Um, like he wants to wear his bug pajamas early in the yeah, movie. It's really good. And but uh, No, here, fire trucks. And then later on you do see him wearing the bug pajamas and fire I truck saw pajamas. That. Yeah, I noticed. So. I noticed, yeah. One of the things that I was thinking was after that scene where Jake says, don't be afraid of it, daddy. Because mm-hmm. I mean, this kid is very knowing, obviously. Whether he sees it or hears it or or what, we don't really know. I mean, there's a... Or just senses it. I don't know that he can really see... I think he might be more scared if he could actually see them. He doesn't... I don't know. It kind of feels like he just senses their presence and can talk to... Mm -hmm. Hear them and talk to them. But yeah, yeah, when he's like, you're awake now, daddy. (laughs) It's like... That's not what he means. He doesn't just mean you're awake. Right. Like, not right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. But he's not it's like a creepy kid. You know, no, like a lot of not. these kids would be like creepy, like in their mm-hmm. their knowing and their abilities. But he's yeah. really not. He's still pretty he's, cute. He's normal. very nat- natural, normal. Yeah. And <laughs> I do also like the whole thing where uh, Maggie is jealous of his hallucination. Yeah. He kind of kind of ribs her about it. It's like, are you jealous of my hallucination? It's, it's sort you of really funny. are it's, it's like yeah. it's like it's like right. It's like when it's like when oh yeah, I, I had a dream. I had a sex dream about someone. It's like, are you jealous of my dream? You know, or whatever. It's like it happens. You know, you can't help it. Then we find out about the post hypnotic suggestion too, mm. uh, which is. That you will have an open mind, an open door, that your mind will be an open door. And it's like, so basically, that's kind of reckless because the idea of having a a mind that's an open door is you will let anything in. Yeah. You know, whether without filter and everything that you take in, you have to put through filter or you'll go crazy, right? Um, That's, I think that's... uh, reasonable to think i mean there i i see that in my daily life frankly i look at some facebook posts and i go oh my gosh where did these people get these (laughs) crazy ideas you know there is a importance to discernment i think (laughs) you know at least she doesn't she only opens his mind and only this one ghost gets through as we see like the kid is a lot more Receptive. Open, a lot more receptive. Yeah. He has a much better flashlight, as, as right. Neil says later on. You know, that's a great line too. Yeah, I know. Flashlight, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then by the end, I mean it's very haunting when you can just kind of hear everything going on the in very every last, house the very they last drive shot by. Of the yeah. yeah, I mean. <laughs> spoilers, obviously, but it, that is. We, we've really, already said we were going to do that. <laughs> really, I don't know. That's that's a great clothes which is also why it made me go oh he's like gonna go off and be Haley joel osmond you know right um, but anyway, and then i really I, like I, I think i was, I was gonna, gonna say it was just i was just going out of the next scene that's i was all. too okay <laughs> yeah and so i really like this whole thing um with debbie yes oh um, this this sequence is so good it is it's very cool yeah. and again the kid not being creepy about it, but just kind of sitting there at the table, you know, talking to mm-hmm. <laughs> who we now know is Samantha. He says, like, Samantha, yes. Samantha told me about her. Like, um, yeah. she's looking for a babysitter because they're going out again. They're very cool parents. They have a lot of time to go out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I know. That's that's one thing I was like, wait, really? really? <laughs> they're the cool parents. Uh, they got to yeah. go out. Stay young. Kevin Bacon, by the way, I'll just say it. I haven't talked a lot about how hot somebody is in a movie lately. Kevin Bacon, 
he kind of does it for prime. me. <laughs> this is, this is pr- prime. This is this is this is prime right here. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not ashamed to call him the Baconator. <laughs> okay, but I mean, some might say, oh, his younger days, Friday the Thirteenth. You know. No, nah, nah. This no, is, no. This is this, this is aged wine. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, he he uh, yeah, he's the he's, line that she has earlier about like I like how your ass looked in jeans. Like that's what attracted me to you. It's like good that's line. what's attracting attracting me to you right now, boy. <laughs> yeah. Because like I was texting with Brian and being we were both kind of like yeah he's looking pretty good. He's got that like hard body lean thing going on. Yeah. In this movie where he just looks really good in everything that he wears <laughs> yep. jeans and a t-shirt is like Hashtag dead goals. sexy yeah yeah uh and you know frankly he's in these new electric car commercials with his daughter <laughs> yeah. he still looks he does i'm good i'm like how did he's like paul rudd one of those people that just doesn't age you know just know. sort of sort of sits right there in that perfect age forever yeah. um so yeah I do love that Debbie is reading The Shrinking Man mm-hmm. uh, by Richard Matheson. Yep. Uh, nice little nod there. But yeah, like as soon as she shows up and that red light and the buzzing sound. Yeah. I love the way this whole sequence it's, plays it's, out. That yeah, That's great. what he sees and that's kind of what leads him to. All the brake lights of the buzzing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just here's Jake talking on the to someone over the baby monitor and goes to check it out. Samantha says it's always dark where she is and she starts freaking out. Mm-hmm. You talk to Samantha? What? What? You know, and then picks him up. Uh, and takes him out of the house and we don't know what's going on um, of course Tom has sort of like this panic he kind of senses what's going on right. runs back to the house uh, by the way I don't know if I, I, I just noticed it on this there's some Halloween decor in one of the windows behind their house so technically speaking this is a Halloween movie in my opinion. I did not notice that. Yeah, there's like a skeleton in, in a window and oh, pumpkins and stuff. Yeah, that. It's like it one kind of, shot in the whole movie. It does kind of feel like it could be that time of year. It's kind of chilly. Yeah, yeah it's got oh. a fall vibe to it for sure. Okay, so no, she went missing in March. Right. And it's been, so it's been six months, they said. September. There you go. Okay, also another character that I really like who is in, uh, a part right before this when they were like walking to wherever they're going concert or something is uh frank's wife the one who's always like smoking right and she she notices him like looking at uh, another woman or whatever and she has a great line like why don't you just lick him when they walk by (laughs) god i love her (laughs) and then later he's like he'll stick it in a bowl of soup if it's still warm (laughs) (laughs) great lines i love her so much (laughs) but also again in this um scene we have a Frank uh, talking to Tom and he's talking about his son and how he's going to like go far and how it's going to be really great for the neighborhood. Just kind of like planting those little seeds. And those are things I didn't really think about. I thought that was just sort of like whatever innocuous shoe leather, not really important conversation kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then you'll go back. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That's really important Uh to what's going on yeah and all these Uh, like gatherings that they're having is just kind of subtly like reinforcing this idea that they think they have this great community that they've built you know in this block and that they take care of each other they look out for each other yeah Mm. gosh i love the part at the train station 
where she just we find out that Debbie's mother yeah. works at the train station, which is why she did this. And so the whole basically finding out who the ghost whole is. thing. Was, yeah, exactly. We're finding the ghost is their uh, Debbie's missing sister, Samantha. Samantha. And they find out they, they realize that it was Jake who, you know, suggested Debbie in the first place. And then again, right. another like really standout scene to me is this next one when they're trying to talk to Jake about like how he knew this. Stuff. Like, what made you think of Debbie? Like, are you talking about Samantha? Is that Samantha someone who talks to you sometimes, you know? And kids are creepy, but like, in a, again, like really subtle. I love the way this plays out kind of way because there's no music sting or anything mm-hmm. to this when he just goes... He says, like, talk to me in that weird voice. Mm-hmm. And it just, I love, again, I, just, I love that there's no, like, thing to, you're just left to, like, sit there with that, like, just like yeah. the parents are. And it's it's such a good way to do it. There's no, like, dun-dun-dun music going on right. in the background. Yeah. It's so perfect. I love, yeah. that's such a good choice. Right. Um, I like the part where, he, you know, he's... He's trying to make the visions happen. Like mm-hmm. Again, we kind of mentioned this before. He's trying to sit there and turn on the TV, see if it'll bring her back or whatever. He's just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, now in the community party, he starts asking about her. And Harry, yeah. uh, the cop, right? He's a cop, right? The, the one neighbor. That- the one that owns his house? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I thought he was... I got the impression that he was something... Some kind of a, a, I guess, respected community person, like, you know, a police officer, firefighter, something like that. Mm. And and they're just like, oh, yeah, we don't we don't know. Whatever. Yeah, they call her. They they do call her a slur, the R word. And Frank gets where you get a little. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But Frank gets very defensive of that and upset. Mm-hmm. Which again is also kind of which a, is yeah, which is good. I mean, later here, here's on. the here's the thing. I mean, if if when slurs like that are used, it's like it's the way people talk, and I understand that. So I'm I'm not like saying I'm offended by it being in the movie, but I'm just like grossed out by yeah. people who use those kinds of things. Yeah, say it's always things. nice to see someone call it out too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now this uh, this next scene uh, is, is Frank. Uh, they're gonna kill you, Tommy. You and Maggie. Oh, like, his little dream sequence. Oh, yeah, the dream sequence. Too. But again, it's what's so great is like like Wes Craven, Manuel, David Lynch. It doesn't announce. Know. It doesn't announce it's a dream. And you I don't know and it's I a like dream until it's too late. <laughs> until it's a dream. Until he wakes yep. up. Right. Uh, you know, sees the kids kid with the gun shoot himself, and and it's obviously it's. Um, I'm sorry, it's not just a kid with a gun. It's, uh, what's his name? Adam. Adam. Yeah, it's Adam. Frank's son is Adam, and Harry's son is Kurt. <laughs> right. It took uh, me a second so... to get those two straight. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stuff does feel a little bit off in that yeah, dream, but, it, they but do. again, it's still, it's still, like, real. It's a good, yeah, again, it's a good way to, like, present a dream. And then I love mm-hmm. the way, again, the way that the next part plays out when he wakes up. Yeah. It's and the, the same. The, the whole, yeah. the whole like, please don't be under there thing. I, thought that was, I love with that. His, when he's, with, with his, his shoe. shoe. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he's like, oh boy. But nothing, but he's, he doesn't see Frank, and, but he does. It's um, different, but the outcome is the same. Because Adam, yeah. he goes in and he sees that Adam has shot himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't see it happen this time, but that is the case. Um, now he's not dead though, right? He's, no, he's badly so. injured. Yeah. So, and um, 
Go ahead. I was going to say, there was another great little moment here that I love with uh, Maggie and Jake when mm-hmm. she's like taking him away from the scene and they're going to go for a it. walk. They end up the yeah. cemetery when they're, but they're, when they're walking and she's just kind of like mimicking everything that he does. It's just, it's so cute. It's such a great it's little sweet. like mother yeah. and son moment. It, it is. And I like the, uh, you know, they see the police funeral, which is one of the things that made me think Harry I don't know. is police but i'd have to watch um, it again to see exactly yeah, what he does yeah um this so, is where jake meets his dick halloran though. <laughs> yeah it is it totally is you're right i didn't think about that but it's totally what that is yeah um, so it's followed by that the officer neil it's like the boy's got the eyes on him doesn't he x-ray <laughs> he basically he senses his yeah. shine <laughs> but, yeah, exactly but we're not gonna it's call it totally the shine the sh- well and this is before the shining and we know that also, we know Stephen King was a huge Richard Matheson, Matheson fan. fan. True. So, I mean, they're obviously influences I creep don't know. their way unexpectedly yeah. and unconsciously into other work. So, I have uh, a copy of the no. book somewhere, so I don't know if this I've, specific character. I left it is in, in the it. living room. I left it in the living room, so I don't. Know now I'm wondering sure. if this specific character is in the yeah, book too. You know, <laughs> I wonder that too, because I mean, if it's in the book, then maybe it could influence The Shining. But if it's not, maybe The Shining influenced this. You know, who knows? I do like those kinds of things. You know, where you have an older character that relates to a younger one like this though and there's sort of that yeah the mystical connection in this case mm-hmm. literally and i i like that a lot it, it's a, it's a neat i know it's a device but i don't know i guess it works on me sure and i what i also like about this movie is that the the mother who is not i mean she had expressed like to lisa earlier that you know she knows that something is wrong with her husband and like she you know he and jake have this own little club that she's not really involved in but she still believes it yeah whatever they believe in she's willing to believe it to help her family i know i just kind of like that she takes that approach and she's just very much involved even though she doesn't have the same kind of abilities she doesn't have the shining she doesn't have the shine i want to i want to just call it the shining because that's basically what they're doing (laughs) let's call it the shinning (laughs) so we don't get sued little simpsons (laughs) reference there for sure (laughs) anyway um i i do like the part where he's trying to figure out what he's the guitar thing but the thing is i was watching the movies like try these notes instead for some reason i am so familiar with the song it ends up being Mm-hmm. But I did not pick it out. Oh, you didn't? While while he was figuring it out, I I don't know. It's only know a few notes. Why? It, yeah. It's like it's, it's very name that tune. I can name that tune in four notes. You know, it's like it's like <laughs> what is that song? You know, is it, and I I understand that feeling. It's like I know that song. What it what is that? You know, unfortunately, winds up being a cover version. I know. Okay. <laughs> why do they it's do okay. that to the Stones? It's Come okay. on. <laughs> <laughs> the conversation I, I do, with I do like that a lot. I like the conversation with Neil too that um, yeah. Maggie has is again like she's she's willing to believe to do anything to you know to help her family and she sees how deep Tom is going because he's not going to work he's you know trying to figure out this thing and um, she's not a skeptic. I like that about her and this conversation right. that um, the way that Neil explains it I think is yeah. makes it really easy. To, to understand and it makes i don't know yeah it's a little bit of the unfinished business yeah you know kind of thing you know, let her do her thing or she'll never leave yeah uh is he's a receiver now he's only mm-hmm. getting glimpses of like what yeah. she wants and 
it's taking it's taking him too long to figure it out she's getting more and more pissed off that you know yeah that he's not doing what she wants him to do which why doesn't she just she can talk to jake why doesn't she say anything to jake tell jake yeah because <laughs> he has a much like better flashlight wrote me earlier movie logic okay movie logic. You, I know. You, can, you can get everything yeah, and this is where you have the mirror moment, right? Where Samantha appears behind Maggie, but she doesn't Another see. Another great family uh, moment, too. Okay, again, I like I love this exchange between Maggie and Jake when she's she's trying to take a bath and he's sitting on their bed watching a movie and she changes the channel and she's like, oh, oh, I know, I'm horrible. Are you okay for 10 minutes? Like, well, I go take a bath and he's just like, whatever. <laughs> whatever like oh such, that's right that's right she turns normal... into the kids show that's right because he can't watch the mummy it's like such a normal moment you know, yeah, you know the, not just the kid being the creepy kid but like being a real kid yeah you know yeah because uh, usually in these kind of movies it's like the kid is just creepy and weird and not acting like a kid all the whole time and it just doesn't never feels real this it's these little moments like this that really makes all of this feel a lot more real to me than it does some other ghost movies you know mm-hmm. and just like a normal like sarcastic conversation that you have you know with sure. with your kid or with your parents like come on mom yeah. whatever uh, I like how Samantha appears on the TV to him, changes the channel to Night of the Living Dead because she knows, she Christ. knows that you don't have to pay to show Night of the Living <laughs> <She laughs> Dead. And, Every ghost yeah. knows that. Yeah. <laughs> Every ghost knows that. So uh, He's watching. What is good. he watching before? She she calls it The Mummy. I don't know what movie I think it's is, a Hammer movie. I, I'm hammer? not, it I, I haven't like. seen, it's not one that I have seen. It's not the first one for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it might, maybe it's like blood from the mummy's tomb or maybe it could even just be like a knockoff. I don't, I'm not even yeah. sure what it is, but I thought maybe you would you, uh, unfortunately, you know more than me. What what it is. With. <laughs> Mummy movies are sort of, as far as classic horror goes, are sort of my least seen. I They're just don't care. Me. And then just some more um, like really cool, um, stuff that Kep does with the ghosts and the visions and everything. I like the way that Samantha's sitting there in the bath. And then he's like, yeah. she, she turns it cold, you know, turns it cold, yeah. but then, uh, Tom, while he's trying, while he's downstairs, like trying to figure out like what song the song is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just paint it black. Come on. Um, black. <laughs> it's like a really famous song and it fits thematically. Come on. Don't you realize that your life has, a- I'm just teasing. I'm just- <laughs> it does. <though. laughs> and Hey, the whole movie theater he envisioned turned it got painted black black <laughs> anyway but yeah i like this vision that he gets of yeah. their mm-hmm. house like before they moved in yeah like all the plastic sheets and everything it's really creepy looking it's it's good and again he's he sees her but she kind of i, I like the way she's always like trying to put him like in her place because when he gets to where like he can't breathe or whatever that's that's like her being suffocated yeah that he's feeling yeah. again and again just like with the way that kep does the scenes i love the way that maggie's hands like come into hands and arms like come yes. into the vision it's, to i love to that. grab his face mm-hmm. i don't know there's just something about that that's like really subtle just like kind of cool thing that, that sure. he does and it also uh her sequence uh sets up the cellar the way the cellar mm-hmm. works one of those uh, creepy ass yeah, rock cellars yeah so uh, weird mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's like you you just know someone is buried in that wall i, know. I mean haven't these people ever ed- read edgar Allan poe <laughs> right you you know someone's buried in that wall have to okay be. <laughs> 
So uh, Tom goes back to Lisa to ask to be hypnotized again, but she Another is high. Funny I love this part. We just smoked a big old fatty and, you know. <laughs> hi, Tom. No one just say hi to Clarita. Clarita, they just speak Spanish to each other. I don't know. Like, totally unnecessary. Doesn't add anything to the but movie moment, but it's perfect it's and I love it. It's funny. It's so yeah, funny. It's great. Wants her to close the door. Uh, in his mind, uh, this time someone is in the theater with him, and it's Samantha, yep. wrapped in plastic. What? Why? Yeah, because and... she's Laura Palmer. No, she's not <laughs> Laura Palmer. I'm joking. Um, I, I, I sound like I'm making fun of this movie. I'm really not. I really do. No, I, I loved this movie. I, I just some of these connections are, are just kind of funny to me, um, and I don't think they were even intentional. But they just sort of made me think of these other things. Sure. And she wants him to dig. The Yeah, the screen says dig this time. And that is what a moment that is. That's mm-hmm. just like, whoa. I mean, and what and we, uh, we get the idea of what that means, I think, by this point, even because we've seen the cellar. We've seen, you know, uh, uh, that was my first thought. And I hadn't seen this in a long time. And I, I or I didn't really remember this. And I thought, oh, dig in the cellar. But what oh. does he do? He Digs up the backyard. Um, <laughs> okay, why does hey. why is it even? It's not even digging, really. She's in the wall. No, she's so in the wall. So that's not that's not whatever. Ghost, well, you should have thought of a better word to help him. Sure, he would have found you sooner. Uh, <laughs> Again, I, I th- I'm not making fun I, of my own movie either. I know, <laughs> Just little I know, things that I know, I've noticed. I, know. I still love I it. do Absolutely. think it's funny. Like uh, nice touches. The fridge filled with orange juice. Why is he? Why is that? I've He's never... like obsessed with orange juice. It's That's one thing I haven't figured out is why he's always so thirsty after carbs, a vision. Energy. I don't know. <laughs> oh, maybe like he's being sucked of his energy during yeah. the visions. Well, I mean, he's out there digging, so too. No, so uh, every to... time he has a vision, he gets really he thirsty. Like after he's go. woken up from the hypnosis and I twice. I, I, I don't know. Some kind of maybe you would have thing. to. Maybe it's in the book. I'd have to. I'll have to read the book. You will. I mean, I, I was planning on it this week, but then, you know, life. You'll have to uh, report I'm back. A slow, I'm a slow <laughs> reader, too. I'm a really slow reader. So, always have been. But I, 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 the way Maggie finds him, finds Look what them, I'm not cleaning up. Yeah, right. That, I that's a great line. I love that's that. That's a great line. And then you find Jake has been sort of recruited to help him, too. And what is Jake um, doing? Jake is helping. helping. <laughs> I think this is such a this is such a well written movie. Like it does, just for the realism. I don't think it's yeah. given enough credit for honestly. And this scene too is is really good. Again, um, just how much I love Maggie, especially in this scene, the way that she stands up to him, but also stands mm-hmm. up for the two of them yeah. in a way because she's like well, she's trying to bring him back. Line. Yeah, she's got that great line where she says, "When you say." Your stupid life, yeah. you're talking about our stupid life. And yeah. I think that is like you regret what we have. And I think what we have is pretty great. So, yeah. Whereas, I th- yeah, I think she's content with the the ordinary, mm-hmm. being the happy little family yeah. in this great neighborhood. Like, she's fine where she is. And I, There's I, you, not but a you... lot to complain about, to be sure. honest. They've got a nice little thing going there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's not in the job he wants, neither is she. I mean, it's, it's but it's, it's what it is. You got, that's where you are at at certain places in life. And then you move on to something else or whatever, you know? Yeah. And then you understand how he feels like just feeling 
very ordinary, very boring, very much mm. like there's so much more that you could be doing. But then maybe when you actually get to touch that even just a little bit, you realize maybe that's not what I want. Maybe, yeah, yeah we do have a great thing going on here. Mm. And I, I, I don't want to be exposed to yeah. uh, what he eventually you know, gets exposed to, like the reality of, of the world and of the sure. people that he thought he knew kind of thing. You know, it's that's tough to confront. And maybe he should just be you know happier in his his little life. Not, I'm sure he is. But, you know, yeah, there's definitely like a midlife crisis thing going on. He's uh, he's where he can't he's, see what he has. Yeah, I think that's what it is. More than anything. And the way that she's just like, you know, um, she just doesn't take it from him. I love that. It's like, um, he's like, you've never talked to me like this before. And mm. like, don't you ever do it again? Oh, yeah. I just love a woman like that. Sorry. No. Yeah, it's uh, great. It's great. It's great. Uh, now we find out that her, she just learns that her grandmother died and they're going to go to the funeral. And he's like, I'm kind of in the middle of something. Ooh. Yikes, man. Yeah. That's. Yeah, that's like marriage 101. You don't know. <laughs> um, so maybe he, he is. Ends up stay, he does end up staying behind, but it's she's definitely not happy about it. Uh, she takes Jake and they go to the funeral. So maybe he is a little bit more receptive to more than just this one ghost because he does have like this instinct that or he knows that she's already dead before they get that's confirmation. Right. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, there's a certain, yeah, the open door is there. He has, it's just like he, like we were saying, he just doesn't have as good of a flashlight. He doesn't sense the ghosts in all the neighbor houses, mm. for example. It's just mostly things that are close to him in some way, Yeah, I think. You know, like, obviously, vicinity in within the house itself. And then, obviously, someone connected to his life. Or Samantha's ghost is just the loudest. Right, right. That's true. Because um, she's new. That's one yeah. of the things about the last couple movies we've done yeah, is the ghosts ghost. are very are very recent. Uh, it's true of the orphanage. It's true of uh, that's really even true of the innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, it because it, it hasn't it obviously it would have had to be less than a year if those yeah. those kids are pretty young, right? And then here again, what six months? And then the changeling is a little longer, but yeah. even that is not like ancient ghost kind of situation and jake says he doesn't want to go back right. home because from where the they feathers are, from where they are you know because of the feathers I, I do like the digging in the cellar with the jackhammer and <laughs> when he know, has going... that one little moment where he's like this is cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> i, I kind of like that <laughs> like the, 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 the manly more the man, power the man tool of the power thing. tool yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sure now he accidentally hits the wall. That's a that's one of those moments that makes me just kind of go, okay, but okay, all right. You Again, her instructions something. were not that specific. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's sort of a false wall. It feels like you know the the facade, the the kind brick of, feels yeah. like a bit of a facade or just not very well done. You know, because whoever did it, did it themselves and didn't know what they were doing. (laughs) Now, this is interesting. You know, this is the question I said I was going to ask. And I don't know. I have a feeling the answer is probably no. But have you ever felt a cold spot before? No. Yeah, it's weird. I, I, I don't know what house, else to say. <laughs> no, um, I, I was at someone else's house and I... 
I definitely felt a cold spot and I cannot describe it. It is not like an airflow thing. It was something uh, the kind of chill was not something that I had ever experienced before or since. And it's a very, very weird thing. So anyway, yeah, which is why look at I, yeah, scientifically could have just yeah. been a weird thing with the house. Or? Yeah, it, it could have been, you know, something a suggestion or I don't know. But there are certain things where I'm just kind of like, I don't know if I can just explain things like that away entirely. Uh, so I, I don't know, but you say things like that and you sound crazy. So you let's don't. move on. <laughs> no, you don't. I don't think I ever have experienced anything really. No, as much as yeah. I would like to <laughs> in a way. I'm one of those sure. <laughs> sure. You know, just, I, cause I think, I've always wondered. I think you, I think it was a time in my life where I was, you know, very receptive, I think to sort of a spiritual realm. And so, again, some might say, oh, that's just psychological suggestion. Sure. You know, I can I can see that argument, but I know what I felt, mm-hmm. too. So, it's, I don't know. And other people felt it, too. So, it yeah. was just kind of like, um, okay. It's, it's, a, it's a weird, weird thing. But uh, I, there are, I, th- I tend to subscribe to Shakespeare's, words i mean there is more in heaven and earth <laughs> than is dreamt of in our philosophy horatio right i i think there are things that we just can't understand there's so many stories of unexplained things mm-hmm. coincidences that yeah, yeah i can't entirely discount something even though i've never sure. experienced it myself i mean even in the scientific world you think about this there are Hundreds of species that have been on Earth for thousands of years that are discovered every year. Yep. So there's there's things we don't know about. You know, we Absolutely. don't we can't we can't pretend to think that we have discovered everything that this world or what is around or underneath or surrounding us in in this reality is. We we ju- I I don't think we can account for everything. In the realm of like how long things have been in existence, we've only been here for a very, very short time. Mm -hmm. So how can we possibly know everything just yet? No. Right. And are there possibly, you know, purely scientific explanations? Well, sure. I I give you that. (laughs) But I, I don't know. At this point, there are things that I don't think can entirely be explained away yeah. uh, empirically, as it were. That's kind of how I feel, too. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, I just had that thought while I was watching this scene because uh-huh. he touches it and he kind of has the vision. The, another great um, transition oh, where yeah. transitions to, from his eyes to like, yeah, the, the, gla- to the, glasses. the glasses appear. Yeah. And he's, and he's so clearly inside of her body. You know, it's like he's seeing all of this from her perspective is is really smartly done. And I like how this is a like a full flashback too, to where it's yeah. like a, it plays out like a real scene where you see like entirely like how all of this happened mm-hmm. rather than just like little glimpses of things like here and there. It's like it's like a full scene, too, which I thought was a little bit different than how I'd seen it done before. Sure. It's not pieces. Yeah, it's, it's not pieces. It's all like a, of it. It's yeah. a it's a whole story, 
and it's so it's so sad um because she's they're obviously taking advantage of her because mm-hmm. she's i don't know how to say it like developmentally delayed in some way yeah Yeah. and you know she's wanting to make friends and wanting to you know the cool people to to like her and Mm -hmm. not really getting social cues and they're just taking advantage of her in a really gross way yes where it seems like they're they want to assault her or rape her in some way that but thankfully they don't but instead they're dumb kids. She starts screaming and they put plastic over her face and suffocate her. So that's all the every time that he felt like suffocated while yeah. he was like in the visions Tom did. Like that's uh-huh. that's what he was feeling. He was feeling her being suffocated. And um, I like the way that this is filmed too. Like kind of puts you in her POV of her like fighting him and like grabbing his hair mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's very confrontational, but it's very, again, just kind of realistic and yeah i like the way that this was done absolutely it's really effective it works Mm. great um now he has seen now that he's seen all this and he knows the truth curtain adam by the way sorry yeah (laughs) curtain curtain adam so it's the sons of frank and harry right so one of the kids yeah yeah, his two friends uh you know one of whom he rents the house from yeah he goes to frank's house and he feels he says you know i want to let you know this before i call the cops and Frank is like admits that he was in on it and in on the cover up of it. Yeah. You know, um, that was a twist because, that even Tom wasn't expecting that the dads helped cover it up. Right. And and that's one of the things about this. I mean, you can kind of I mean, these kids, you know, this one very stupid thing, you know, destroying their whole lives, which it would and should. should. You know, because Absolutely they should. literally took someone's life and um they they're just kind of like, I I think there's almost a sense of we ended up being kind of nobodies and we want our kids to be somebodies. Yeah, or, absolutely. I think I think That's there's an element of that. The way that Frank was talking about his son earlier about like uh-huh. you know, football and, you know, going to go far and yeah. it's going to be really good for this neighborhood for you know these kids to succeed. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of mentality that they have. And I mean, it's always like. It's not a good reason, but you kind of understand good reason the reason. Yeah. You kind of understand it, though. You understand it as a motive, um, as as crappy of a motive as it oh, is. Oh, I know. And it's always <laughs> yeah. like it's always like so dismissive of the victim too. It was like, oh, they yeah. were going to ruin their lives for her. It's like, uh, yeah, I know, okay. I know. <laughs> for for the for the neighborhood R word. Yeah, uh, that is that's, what, that's they're, what they're thinking. That's, that's absolutely that's what they're the, thinking. That's how they're thinking it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I would read this, you know, from my own experience as her possibly uh, having like uh, spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know that kind of you know high functioning autism. Uh, sort yeah, that's of, what it seems yeah. like. Yeah, uh, so just like the social cues and things like that uh, being a little different from <laughs> from neuronormative folks. Right. I, and I say this as the parent of a couple of neurodivergent folks, and you know, quite possibly uh, one myself. <laughs> you know, neurodivergent myself, I feel. Uh, the more I learn about it, the more I go, yeah, that I fit that category too, I think. So, which is, I don't think isn't, I think the more we learn about it, I think it's just, I don't know, it might even become more the norm. I don't yeah, know. but now, I mean, it's mm-hmm. still kind of looked at as not being quote unquote normal, which is they're, like, how? They're a little weird. They're a little you know, weird. That, yeah, that, that's that, how it is that, in this That being movie. the, mm-hmm, yeah. These kids so, are they're the football player, teenage mm-hmm, boys, you know, mm-hmm. they're more important. 
yeah kind of thing but i like how this plays out with frank too um i don't know i just kind of like it this character he's got a gun they're down in the cellar with the body and everything yeah i like how it plays out to where he's telling tom to 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 go away he's Mm -hmm. not I don't know. He doesn't plan to kill him. He doesn't have malicious yeah. intent. You know, right. What did he say in his little dream earlier? That his vision that he had of Frank was like, they're going to kill you, Tom. Right. <laughs> so you kind of get a little sense of like, they? who could they be? <laughs> yeah. Ah. That would be, be Harry and, and Harry. Harry. <laughs> um, so who are at the door? And they beat Tom up and plan to kill him. Um yeah, so we're kind of like barreling toward the ending here. Maggie yeah. is coming Maggie back. Maggie shows up, and she still has the knife that she took with her uh, yeah. to go into the bad neighborhood to meet Neil, right? I think that is a nice little detail that carries over. And they try to make it to be where, like, Jake maybe knew something was going on, knew that the knife was in her purse, because sure. he, he says something like, you forgot this, Mom, which, like, she's a woman. She would have brought her purse anyway, but still. Right. <laughs> He senses he senses something with the feathers and that she would need some kind of protection. Right. Yeah. Just kind of uh, adding more to like what his shine is. I'm going to call it his, his shine. The, his, the, shine. <laughs> yeah. the shining. Um, he, <laughs> well, there's a nice little tussle here, you know. Yeah. The, she, she gets knocked down, but she's like we, we've been saying, Maggie's very resourceful. No she's, hesitation. Stabbing this guy in the foot. He attacked right the me. Foot. I'm stabbing, yeah. him in, stabbing him in the foot. <laughs> Yeah, good for her. She's she's tough as nails, keeping her head together, being totally, you know, she she's awesome. Uh, when Frank comes back up from the basement, where we thought he had shot himself, we thought he when... had shot himself because we hear the gunshot. Yeah, that's right. I yeah, I forgot about that, and which would make sense, you know, but maybe he just like he couldn't do it. Um, Living with sh- knowing what yeah his kid did and that they covered it up and then that his kid tried to kill himself right but instead but then, he comes back and he's he's defending tom and maggie he's kind and of a hero yeah he shoots uh harry and um the harry's gun goes off too and then that that goes through yeah. the ceiling and that's shoots like, through <laughs> the pillow Whew, that's pretty chilling that's a good little moment yeah. He realized what Jake meant by he was afraid of the feathers because it feathers. comes up through the he, pillow in his bed. <laughs> in his bed. He would Where have been sleeping have with been his there. head on that pillow. Yes. It's a really effective moment. And of course, the lovely, you know, the way the ghost is released by all that. I like this moment Is a lot. really neat. It's really I, nice. I think having her kind of get her coat back and walk and her glasses the, she's she's not gla- wearing her yeah. glasses in any of the visions mm-hmm. she like she puts her glasses back on she's smiling again she's yeah. always cold in the visions because it was it was march at this time and you know and yeah. they're in this abandoned or this house that's being like redone or something so it's cold she puts her coat back on so she's warm again and she's happy and she just kind of like yeah. walks away that's a good kind of representation yeah of a ghost being freed it's really yeah. neat. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. It's really beautifully done. And um, I don't know, it kind of gives you the nice, warm fuzzies a little bit. It you does. Know, it, 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 because it's sort of like a, a freedom. You sense the freedom mm-hmm. that she can sort of move on to whatever place the afterlife has yeah. for her, whatever that would be. I love both of these um, like epilogue shots, uh-huh. too, because there's only uh-huh. like two... 
two little things that happen after this. It's uh, just like a, a shot that holds on a U-Haul truck as mm-hmm. Tom and Maggie are walking like back and forth, obviously moving out of the neighborhood, getting out of this so-called decent neighborhood that they thought sure. they were in that actually has some darkness underneath and maybe a lot more that they don't even realize, you know, that's kind yeah. of the point. I think of the part of part of the point of this movie, but then I, I just absolutely love that when they're walking by and they grab hands really quick. Yeah. You know? And there's just a yeah. shot of their hands like that. They were going to be okay. You know, after that, yeah. that they're even, probably even better than they were before. And that Tom is probably mm-hmm. a lot more appreciative of his ordinary life that he has with her, you know? Sure. And I do like, also, it's a brief mo- shot as well where where you see that Samantha's family has the funeral, yeah. so there's that sense of closure. They they know what it's happened sad, to her. They, yeah, her, her. Her body's been found. Yeah, so there's comfort in that, you know, even though it's tragedy, mm-hmm. uh, at least the knowing, I guess. Um, but man, that, that closing moment where they're Jake driving the away and Jake is, can just hear every spirit in every house they drive by. It's mm-hmm. like this story. I mean, it's that old line, you know, there are 8 million stories in the naked city, you know, that whole <laughs> thing. And this is one of them. Yeah. It kind of has that feeling like there's, this story could be told a billion times down every court. I mean, think yeah. about, you know, the number of people in all the existence of the history of the world, <laughs> there are way more dead people than living people. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we have that. Uh, so that's just that idea that there are so this many stories that we street. will never know. You know, not all of them are tragedies. It's just that everything everywhere, you know. I like his expression, too, where it's like he's not scared or he's not like, I don't know. He just he has a very neutral expression when he just sure. where he sort of covers, covers up his, his ears. ears like he does want to maybe not have this. <laughs> yeah. Or he's like, okay, this is a little bit too yeah. much. Because yeah, there was that one I part where he like yells at peace. Samantha um, when he's like, I don't really want to talk right now. It's like, there, mm-hmm. there's a part of him that mm-hmm. does feel overwhelmed by what, what he has. And that's kind of right. what you get to from that. So it's a little bit of a sad ending to, for him, at least. <laughs> that the he's, I he's not left alone thing. Tom's door is probably closed now, but Jake's will probably always be open. Yes. That's what you yes, get. That's, that's right. Uh, yeah, it's really effective ending. And like I said, it, it just made me think of, you know, carrying right on into the sixth sense in right. a way if you wanted. <laughs> um, but it, it, they're, they're probably too similar of movies to really pair together. But there, there is sort of like a, a feeling that I, I think they work in a way. Um, anyway. Uh-oh. I love this movie so much. I've been wanting yeah. to talk about that for a long time, so I'm very happy. <laughs> I've only seen this within the last year or so, and I liked this more on a second viewing. I, I liked it the first time, but I thought it was really terrific uh, after a second viewing. Good. Five stars? I gave it four, but four is <laughs> really, really good. Four is really, really good. Maybe if I watch it a few more times and really <laughs> fall in love with it even more, I bet I would give it a higher rating even. I'll accept that. Right All now. right. Okay, and now 1980, The Changeling, or The Changeling, depending (laughs) on how you want to say it, Uh, whatever, I don't care, Uh, I'm happy either way. So this movie 
is interesting and also something I didn't really think about before we started talking about. Hey, there's another connection between the two. Uh, and that is this movie features third build even, just like yep. the person in they're related to, Melvin Douglas, uh, in the in the role of the senator, who is in fact Ileana Douglas's grandfather. So, hey, check that out. A little uh real world connection there. Well, there was something else that I thought of too. That I don't know for some reason because it's a big part of the changeling. Oh, is kind of the whole uh, name that tune thing that's going on. This in, is true in both of the movies that I, I hadn't thought of that before. That's with, uh, a good point. Paint it black and stir of echoes, and then uh, whatever the music box thing. Yeah, is though that in changeling that was actually composed for the movie. Uh, yeah. but, so there's a little bit. It's not. It wasn't a pre-existing song. So that's a. Uh, interesting piece though but i really adore this movie uh and it's sort of grown on me over the years over the years my girlfriend in high school we were out renting movies and she said oh we were looking in the horror section so we got the shining and something else i can't remember but she said oh the changeling have you ever seen that i was like i haven't even heard of it and she says, this movie's really good. We should get it. So we rented it. But I was more interested in, in kissing at the time because she was my first girlfriend. And that's what you did in high school. So I, uh, the first time I saw this, I didn't really see it. Just kind of wasn't really paying that close of attention. But it stuck in my mind as a movie that was out there. So it like would come up. Every now and then in like great horror films you've never seen kind of things, those sorts of lists and shows and stuff. And I was like, I I need to really watch that movie. And so I tracked it down somehow. I who knows how I tracked it down and I watched it and I just kind of fell in love with it instantly. I searched forever for the DVD. I finally found the DVD somewhere for a reasonable price. And then, you know, like two months later, Severin announced that they were going to be releasing it on Blu-ray. So <laughs> that's how and it's actually fairly available now. Screenbox has it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's around. It's easy to rent. It's easy to find. It's a good transfer. It looks nice. It feels very like you were saying it, it's like got some of the theatrical film flaws still in it. It's not, it's not pristine. It's not overly perfect. So you kind of feel like you're watching a projected film. And there's something about that, that sort of lends itself to, I guess, some of the ghostliness of it too. Um, I think so. Yeah. It's a very elegant looking movie. That's the move. That's the word that keeps coming to mind to me. I think it's like the caliber of the cast too. is what kind of, um, uh, got me into this movie because I, I watched this I remember reviewing it on my blog and I think at the time I had been just watching a lot of you know like teenager uh, horror movies I think at that time you know like uh, more fun stuff and then I watched The Changeling and I just remember being like really shocked not not shocked that's not the right word but just kind of like surprised and, at how good it was sure. and then just being like Hey, you know what? We need more of just adult horror movies like this, yeah. where adults are the people 
the protagonists and where they actually believe what's going on and where you can relate to them, even if it's not anything like you experience, but you just kind of feel, you know, the, the, an adult playing the stuff, you kind of just feel the weight mm-hmm. of what John Russell has, has been through. Yeah. And that's enough. Just George C. Scott. Uh, just, <laughs> I'd seen Astounding. him in like some, yeah. And I yeah. was just like, Wow. If he's in a movie like this, it's like it's got to be good, and of course, it absolutely is. Right, and, you know his his gravitas. Of course, um, playing you know the, the the female lead in this movie is you know they were obviously husband and wife. So Trish Vanderveer and George C. Scott were were married, but this is not a romantic relationship. At least explicitly. I mean, there's sort of a uh, yeah. That's what I like about it. It's it's there's they're clearly friends, and perhaps it will develop into a romantic relationship. But for now, I mean, they he's having the space to grieve, and that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I think makes this movie so strong. There's all, is all that grief element uh, is so beautifully explored. There's only like one part where I kind of felt. The utter, or at least there was some kind of um, she likes him thing mm. is when she finds the ball yeah. in the desk and you did like the look on her face when he says you know that was my daughter so she's like oh, stupid 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 right. why did I bring that up you know I, that's what I kind of get from it because sure. you can tell that there's something there but yeah I do like that it's not really explicit sure. but it's, it, it's underlying that because it, it's a possibility yeah yeah even the she's scene, given him his space even the scene where they go riding out in the woods mm-hmm. I think there's a sort of like the idea of a blossoming romance could happen, but it's not, it, this isn't a, that movie. And yeah. and I like that it does this. It's, it was inspired by true reports uh, of the Cheeseman Park haunting uh, in Denver, Colorado in the late 60s, 1968 and 69, the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion, which no longer exists because it was in fact destroyed. Uh, so... People don't actually know for sure what it even looked like. There are pictures yeah. that there's a there's a photograph that is often used that may not necessarily be the house. So um, there's a lot of I mean, there's always speculation, but there is thoughts, you know, that someone someone was killed in the house, like a child was killed in the house and then replaced by an orphan. So there's certain threads and then the ball the bouncing ball now in the real uh, believe what you want about it i'm cool either way (laughs) whether it was real or not i mean in the true life incident he says he heard a bouncing ball now in the movie that is his daughter's ball and it symbolizes a lot more than it actually means to the ghost in this movie uh, it means more to John as a character than it yeah. does to the ghost. Um, but apparently that was like the rubber ball in the real life incident is what the child who died had. So he, he was hearing this bouncing ball inside his house and he didn't know what it was. Here you hear the pounding and it's a similar kind mm-hmm. of thing, but it's something different than that. Um, and I think there's one other thing, real life incident that, found its way into this movie as well and we'll get to that in a little bit but as far as the movie itself goes it's a movie about tragedy in my opinion from 
the first sequence. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie about grief oh, yeah. and tragedy. <laughs> grief. Um, and so, I mean, just imagine, it's supposed to, it was actually filmed in Vancouver, but it's, uh, it's supposed to be upstate New York in the mountains, and they're on a ski trip with his wife and daughter, and the car is broken down. He goes to a phone booth while they're playing across the street next to the car, and everything is fine until a dump truck comes racing down the street and another car gets in its way and it yeah. swerves and it hits the car and both his wife and daughter are killed. And the fact that he can so see helpless. it coming. And he's so helpless. And that he has to watch it mm-hmm. ha- actually happen mm-hmm. and he can't do anything to stop it. Yeah. And they don't really show too much of it, thank goodness. You know, you just, you, there's a shot, you know that they're standing in front of that sign. Yeah. And then you, there's a shot of the, the truck ramming the sign, like, from overhead. So it's not, like, something overly, like, gory or no. disturbing. But it's, like, devastating enough just watching him, like, having to see it happen. And trying to get out of the phone booth, and he can't. Trying to get out of there's, the phone booth, yeah. There's just this helplessness of it all, you know, that is really tragic. And uh, the next thing we see is him leaving, you know, Lincoln Center. Uh, we learn that he was a musician quite an accomplished one, a fairly famous one, as it turns out. And he moves uh, moves to Seattle because why not? Uh, he, he, I think he just wants to get a far, <laughs> as, as far away from um, So there are a couple elements about this movie that I think is why Brian likes this. Seattle, yeah. musician. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I mean, honestly, okay, so I heard this quote a long time ago and like a it was like a, a documentary about Roger Ebert. It was like biography or something like that while he was still alive, in fact. And he said, uh, someone said, you know, Roger likes and dislikes a lot of movies, but I don't think he's ever given thumbs down to a movie that takes place in Chicago. <laughs> you know, because he, he loves Chicago, right? Being born so and raised there. So, exactly. Because <laughs> he did give Child's Play 1 a good review, as I recall. It's I don't two not so much, but that's okay. We'll we'll let it slide, I guess. Um, but I kind of feel that way too about movies that take place right. in Washington. I I can't help it, you know. So even if they're not filmed here, so like First Blood is, and this is mostly <laughs> Vancouver. Though there are a few shots that take place that are in Seattle itself, and I'll mention those. I'm sure, but. I think there's something about the Washington setting that is kind of helpful to the story, though. There's sort of, it's March, so it's still kind of cloudy all the time. It's raining a lot, um, and it just, there's a mood to it that I think is really effective. It doesn't feel oppressive, it just feels like gloom, like there's a, Mm -hmm. it's we've talked about this a lot and I think, you know, the sort of the environment of a character reflects their inner life. And I think that's very much the case here. The weather, the building, um, that giant house with all this beautiful ornamentation and stuff, but it's empty except for him is, I mean, (laughs) that kind of sums up who he is at this moment as this character. And when he's like talking to his friends or whoever they are, that, that's yeah. the job that's coming up. And he's just kind of being a little bit too matter of fact about you know, like, oh, you know, like, it, 
uh, it, it suddenly hit me one time that they're they're gone forever and now i just got to move on with my life but that's that's what i like the most about his performance in this is that he doesn't have to be overly emotional or depressed all the time Mm-mm. for you to feel what he's really feeling we get one that one of the best little moments of the movie where he you, we see him letting out his emotion when he's just laying in bed crying I in the morning. I love that scene. It's a beautiful moment. But I mean, I think that's that's more real the way he plays it because, like, to other people, it's like you're you're just he's you know it's you and, you're just trying mm-hmm. to go on you know to the next minute and the next day, and it's not until like those little moments like that where it kind of hits you. Yeah. Like one of okay, uh, the comparison I always make is like one of my favorite um my favorite Stephen King book is Bag of Bones, mm-hmm. right? And there's a great moment in that book where um the main character like his wife has uh, an aneurysm in a parking lot and sudden she's like dead. Um and there's a moment where he like finds in her bag like a piece of candy that she bought that day mm-hmm. and he eats it and that's when he that's when it hits him. Yeah. That and he just starts bawling and letting out all his emotions because that was you know something that she got that she'll never get to eat you know and right. it's just it's it's like that's how that kind of stuff happens so the, the the way that he plays it here is just very realistic to me and I suppose if you were to make a direct comparison the piece of candy and this would be the rubber ball the, yeah. the red and white ball that the maid brings in. Right before he's about to leave, you see everything's boxed up in his New York apartment and he pictures his daughter, Kathy, walk in, you know, Mm -hmm. and sort of with everything furnished and it looks bright. It's very, it's a very like wonderful, beautiful family they've created. And he's, yeah, he's sort of at the height of his abilities as a creator. And, you know, everything is like, my dreams have come true. And he takes this ball from her, from the maid, you know, in the next moment and everything is just empty in there. Yeah. Uh, it's very powerful. And he just takes it, he puts it inside the desk and, and closes it up and it comes with him, uh, to Seattle. But, um, does he also to you like look like just a little bit older? Old. Yeah. He's then yeah, he does yeah. in the flashbacks or is that just me? Oh, even though like he's, he's already like kind of old. <laughs> yeah, but it's like in the flashbacks compared to like present day when he's in the house, it just he's for some reason like something about him is just a little bit more like weathered to me. Just I didn't the weight of the grief, I guess. I don't know. I just kind of feel that I didn't think there's about more that, life, but I flashbacks. but I think that is probably the case. I think there's a there's I mean even just through expression, a smile goes a long yeah. way with George C. Scott. I mean he's so rarely does, yeah. I, you so often see him looking sort of neutral or dour you know that when he mm-hmm. when he does smile in a movie it's just like whoa <laughs> you know it's that's one of my favorite yeah. parts in here when and in the classroom mm-hmm. oh i love that yeah there's there's lots of great stuff um now he just wants the house where he can he uses the word pound away at the piano all day which is a little bit of a yeah there's going to be a pounding in the house all right <laughs> you know, but that's not what I meant. 
<laughs> Sorry. There's got that pounding sound. I mean, he just Be wants serious. to pound it, pound around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But pound on the piano and and work on his compositions and things. Just have the piece and yeah. separate. So he meets Claire from the historical society where he's able to rent the house. It's the Chessman House, which is a alteration of Cheeseman Park. So Chessman Park, the house on Chessman Park instead of change. Cheeseman Park. Yeah, Cheeseman sounds weird to me. Yeah. Sorry, any Denver listeners. <laughs> um, but anyway. Love that overhead shot mm. of them driving up to mm. the house, too. Yeah. Again, you, you get the gloom, too, because yeah. it's like the wet fallen leaves. Oh, yeah. On the driveway and everything, so you definitely get that yeah. that gloomy atmosphere. Yeah, and and this was shot in in Vancouver, so which often doubles for Seattle, just like Toronto does for Chicago uh, in the movies, which is okay, but uh, that's a that's a normal thing. Um, and the house is one of the things I found interesting was that it was a facade. They put a facade up in front of a real house. And all of the interiors were in the studio. So the out, but that land is gorgeous. And it's sort of reminiscent a little bit of like a smaller version of the Bly Manor stuff in The Innocence. Yeah. You know, it's very, um, there's the weathered stuff on the property, like the fountain. and The house itself is very gray for the most part, except those little red windows up in the, yep. uh, in the attic room. And honestly, I'm usually not into sort of this Baroque kind of architecture, but I really like the way this house looks, that all that dark wood and... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, I would love that kind of place. Again, with watching movies with Mm -hmm. um, some kind of setting location where it's like, yes, I would move in there right now, even though it's not... My personal style, yeah, I like the dark wood, but it's just, it's the detail, yeah. it's the personality of the place, mm-hmm. it's like the intricacies of the, even just like the woodwork around a door or yeah. something, where it's like, you could live there and you could probably discover something new right. every day in your own house, you know? The, ah, there's even, I know they, so cool. I know they came out in the same year, we're probably being made around the same time, So, but there's even sort of camera work as it floats through the house and sort of vibes of the shining um even though the the design is obviously very different there's something about you know like the couches that have sort of a modern look compared to sort of this old look of the of like think like the gold room for example in the shining the bar and everything mm. it's sort of that kind of aesthetic placed against each other I, I think looks really cool. There's sort of a great floating camera effect because you're taken through this whole house. You know, there's a gardener, there's a housekeeper, but they're rarely there. Mostly it's just him. And then they show him sitting there at the piano um, trying to compose. And then the one key doesn't work, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, symbolic in some way too. But then of course he leaves the room and that key is pressed and it works first sign of of something else going on in here but uh, yeah yeah it's just beautifully done and so much of this is set up is is just character just getting to know this character and he goes to the lecture hall at the university of washington it's actually the university of washington um and he's 
sees all the people in the room and he's like, there are 23 people signed up for this class, So, uh, but it's not raining outside, so I guess you just have nothing better to do. And they're all kind of chuckle. Well, it, what it does is it sets up that he's actually famous. He's yeah. a well-known uh, in his field. Uh, nationally, clearly. So there's a there's really something neat about that, that it's not just an anonymous person who can't be believed or he's he's highly respected in every sense, I think. So um, he's not just going to go around making up crazy stories. Sure. I just think that's such a great moment probably for any kind of teacher too, you know, oh, yeah. to walking in there like like i said the um the kind of laugh that he gives when he before he sits down at the piano i think that's such a great moment mm. for him too because he's like damn for me really yeah. <laughs> thanks <laughs> a certain level of humility he has as well yeah uh, let you know that he's not alone either mm. there's yeah there's people in his corner that he doesn't yeah. maybe recognize because he's feeling very alone right now yeah and, and then the symphony performance uh which was, it looks like it's, uh, the theater looks almost exactly like the Param- inside of the Paramount Theater in Seattle, but it's actually the Orpheum in, in Vancouver. I, so I was like, I, I was so thrown. I was like, really? That's not, that's not the Paramount? But um, anyway, is what it is. But that symphony performance is, you know, obviously he enjoys classical music. That's a big element that sort of permeates its way all the way through this film. Um, and we see the speech from the Senator uh, Chamberlain played by, I'm no, that's not right. Carmichael. Sorry. Carmichael. Carmichael played by uh, Melvin Douglas. And so that's our introduction to this character Senator, who's clearly been at it a while. Uh, he's quite elderly. Then the ghost story proper begins the next morning. Right at 6 a.m. on the dot. 6 a.m. on the dot. He hears the banging. Um, it sounds like pipes or something, some sort of plumbing. Mm-hmm. There's also a little touch of like a wailing sound, but it's it's very subtle at first. It becomes more prominent as the movie goes on. That's what the subtitles say. There's always like, it would say something like moaning mm-hmm. or ghostly whisper yeah. or something <laughs> i love that kind of stuff yeah and, and then it suddenly stops it's just after 30 seconds or so and it's like oh well that's weird you know it, it, <laughs> that kind of thing it's a, it's an old house yeah. it, old houses make noise that kind of thing uh I, I i do like where he's playing in the next scene he's playing the piano again and then the door just opens mm-hmm. it's <laughs> quiet and subtle could be could be at this point you know it could be you know a draft or something like that that swings it open you don't really know it's a simple thing it's an old house it, it's got its quirks yeah and, eh. <laughs> and there are people in the house right now the gardener yeah. we see the gardener outside we i know he comes in through another door uh though to try and establish that no he didn't do that um and right. there could but the housekeeper could be somewhere around you don't it's so big you don't necessarily know um i really like that there is for a long time and i think the best ghost movies do this that there's the quote unquote logical explanation sure that's always there i don't know there's one for the piano key but no one saw that right so. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> Only we did. Only we, so we did. know 
we know from the beginning that it's a ghost. Sure. Right. But I, I like how he, he just starts picking out the melody and then he just starts adding chords to it. And he's like, oh, that's nice. And he hits the record button and just plays this. And I, I, I like that because, I don't know, there, there are musicians I know that can really do that. They'll they'll start like, oh, there's a melody. Oh, let's chord this. Let's chord this. And they could build a song like that, just that quickly. Um, beautiful piano playing. I, I know he is faking it, obviously, the actor. But <laughs> the uh, sure. the sound of it is just beautiful. Yeah. And, um, it's this wonderful melody, simple melody, childlike melody. Lullaby. Yeah. Claire calls it. Yeah. And um, I... I love, you know, that Claire, that's Claire hears him listening to it when she comes and she brings some like pictures that used to hang in the house for him to look at. And she's, she's really, it's like, oh, that's beautiful. And all this. And she, okay, here's, can I just she say looks a weird at the thing desk too, <laughs> real quick, but. just about Trish Vanderveer, about her voice. Mm-hmm. There's something about her voice that I really love. There's kind of a regalness to it in the way yes. that she pronounces words. She's very precise, and it's, yeah, yeah, the she's she, the sounds that I don't know. I like I liked hearing her. It gives the <laughs> the the character sort of an instant air of intelligence and mm-hmm. just being articulate, and all that is is very key to I think her character probably being a good match for John. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, she opens up the desk. It's, oh, that's a lovely piece, you know, just admiring that. And she opens up the desk and there's the ball inside. So I guess his wife probably was like restored the front the desk or something. Yeah. Or belonged to Kathy, perhaps. And he just or something. Because she yeah. says, like, isn't this a great old piece? Like, did you, you know, refinish it yourself? And he said, no, not me. I think he was probably talking about his wife you know like maybe that, that was is, something that that's that's that a did. subtle that's a subtle cue i didn't pick up on but yeah that makes sense um uh yeah and so he, he's like oh yeah that was my daughter's and it's like oh and that's that moment you were talking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about but then he follows it up and says are you going riding because she's dressed to go riding uh horseback riding and so they go out together. I, I love that, you know, just those woods, the way they look after it's rained and the green is so green and mm-hmm. um, and they're just walking them through the sort of thicker part. And he says, I was just thinking about my daughter and how much she loved horses. Yeah. You know, it, again, it's the obviously the grief is is ever present in this. And that leads right into the 6 a.m. the next morning where. Which is one of my, it's such a brief moment, but where he's just by himself in the bed, he's just sobbing. Yeah. And to see, i that's one of the things I like about, you know, the tough guy, George C. Scott, you know, is allowed to be so vulnerable in this movie. Uh-huh. And he lets himself be so vulnerable in this movie is extremely powerful. Even though it's only, yeah, that really that one moment where he lets out his emotion I don't know. You can still feel it in every mm-hmm. every expression that it gives. And the one thing that makes this so effective, the the even the ghost part, mm-hmm. is just people's reactions. Yeah. And I think it's his his reaction, like why the ghost chose him. 
I think, you know, yes. is, is a big deal. The way and the way that he immediately believes it mm-hmm. is just, you know, this is one thing that I, I really liked when I first saw this again, like just the whole like adult thing. And it's like, yeah, we're going to believe this right away. And it's, it feels more legitimate when it's coming from, you know, an intelligent man like this character. And then also like from George C. Scott, this right. <laughs> highly revered actor. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, well, again, he's, he's, uh, interrupted (laughs) from, by the banging sound. And so he actually has the plumbing checked and, you know, what does the plumber say? It's an old house. It makes noises. Makes noises. Yeah. Um, (laughs) then he's got, I like, you know, he's got the students in the home, the rehearsal and this is, and everyone, all the students are like, wow, that was great. And he still has critiques. So true. I'm sorry. (laughs) That is like, I... (laughs) <laughs> I, I totally, I've known professors like that. They're so wonderful to work with. They're brilliant. Um, but there's always, but he's a good this, he still compliments it. them. Yeah. He says, okay, we're, we're going a little fast here. Um, we're not quite together on these syncopations and, uh, but Hey, otherwise that was really wonderful. And, you know, I had a teacher this movie, I'm at, here's a good a good a place as any to bring it up. Um, I had a, a college professor, choir director, who I don't know this movie because of the grief, because of the fact that it's a gifted piano player and professor, music professor. It makes me think of of this choir director I had, um, who was a he was a brilliant pianist. He you know kind of worked his way up from. He was very poor. His family was very poor as a child in the South. He uh, taught himself how to play piano. He ended up paying his way through college by playing Elton John songs in bars. He says he said <laughs> he, he used to say, "I um, <laughs> says I used to pl- I played a lot in in bars in the '70s, so I know every Elton John song there is." You know, <laughs> um, but he had he had a very like it's almost a European accent, even though he was raised in Georgia. Uh, and so he had just sort of gone through these shifts in life that had just became this guy who was so cultured and so intelligent and worked so hard. And one day, tragically out of nowhere, some nut comes on campus and shoots him and he died. Uh, fairly quickly um but just the the grief that i feel still 20 years later of that loss um sort of resonates with this movie for me every time i watch it i can't help but make those kinds of connections um but there's something about this movie that processes through the grief in such a powerful way mm-hmm. that that I like watching it. <laughs> um, it it's um, it's comforting. It's like it, it's like I, I I think to myself. I bet Jim would like this movie a lot. I don't know if he ever saw it, but I, I bet this is something that he would enjoy. I don't know. It, it's just something about those kinds of teachers. That I mean, that's that's the teacher that has affected my life more than any other that I can think of anyway. I don't know, (laughs) but that combined with grief is just, 
Um, and it's, I actually I wrote about that uh, in in a piece I wrote on this for Manor Vellum like three years ago. Yeah, if if you're interested in that, it's a piece on the changeling in there. But uh, but anyway, so that he but he was he could do that kind of thing. I remember we were doing this whole big rehearsal with it had a small orchestra and two choirs, and he was playing organ and this whole big sound and he stopped and he said um i believe you should be playing a g and he like pointed to the bassoon player and he looked like oh yeah you're right it was just like he, that i mean it was just kind of brilliant like that so so this moment sort of reminds me of that because most of us hear them rehearsing and just go wow that's amazing it's gorgeous and then he's like well it could be better <laughs> You know. just has that ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there are, I'm just saying that to say, you know, there are people like that, you know, uh, who are really astonishing. Yeah. And he's, I love that he's so sweet about it, too. He again, is, he is. And, and Jim again, always like, was, too. Jim right. always was, too. I'm not, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the classroom scene and with this, yeah, you can mm-hmm. tell that they're young students. They're probably really intimidated to yeah. you know, be playing for this guy. Absolutely. As we saw like how highly respected he was. And for him, like, yeah, he gives the critiques, but he does it in a nice way where it's just like, yeah, you just need to change this, but otherwise, awesome job. That probably made them feel amazing. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and now, one of the things about this that I like is it's a really rainy night. And mm-hmm. so... But the sounds that he's hearing in the house are water. Water. So it's like it could he's just be the rain. The water. <laughs> he's following the water, and he goes in, and he and he hears the sees that the faucet's on. He sees that a bathtub's on, and then he has the vision of like a child in the bathtub. He doesn't necessarily see it. It's it's like it was placed in his mind or something, and we're shown it as an audience. And I think yeah, that's really, really close up cool. on the face. Yeah. And. Again, one of my favorite elements of this movie, he sees that and you know what? He believes. He's like, huh, there's something up. Yeah. <laughs> He's, um, he sees that go- ghost in there and he's like, oh, okay, so it's a ghost. And, he's, and the next he, day he goes and talks to Claire. Has anything else happened yeah, weird in that house? And he's yeah. not afraid to ask questions about it because he believes mm-hmm. right away he sees it. I just like it when people are just immediately open to the possibility and we don't have to deal with the bullshit of like, oh, there's a ra- there's a rational explanation for all of this, sure. you know? And it's I think it also yeah. makes more sense in this movie too because like again like with maybe the reason why the ghost chooses john and why he wants to speak Mm -hmm. to john is that people like him who have lost somebody like really recently two people you know it's it's what only been a few months really yeah yeah because it's november 27th i think is when it says that and then he's march 4th here he is in seattle right so So, i mean it's still He's still feeling that heavy weight it's of that less grief. Than a year. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's the people that have gone through that or that are currently going through something that are perhaps more open to or more hopeful to the idea of an afterlife, and that's yeah. why he's so willing to believe it. Why he gets so deep into the story? Um, sure. When it's, well, it's first presented to like, him. Yeah, I think of the medium in the orphanage who mm-hmm. says, you know, those who are closer to death. Uh, so he's experienced, I mean, <laughs> grief, I, I think, 
of that sort makes you feel the fragility of life more. Um, so there's that sense of closeness to to death in that sense. Or I get it that it's like he hasn't yet been able to accept that they are permanently mm. gone, you know? Yeah. So he's still, the, like, this, too. you know, this idea of ghosts and stuff is not something that's so far-fetched or even, like, scary for him. It's something that mm. kind of gives him a little bit of hope of something, like, he can cling on to them for a little bit longer. Even though it's not yeah. their story, it's this other little boy's story. Yeah. Well, and the one sort of sort of traditional spooky thing that happens at this point in the movie is when Minnie, who the older woman who oh, works yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the historical site, gives the warning. Says, that house is unfit to live in. It doesn't want people. Um, which is very like the Amityville horror. Sure. Get out! <laughs> you know, but that's okay. Um, then, you know, just these, this, some one day he's just leaving his house and boom, the stained glass window blows out. And the only stained glass windows in the whole house are that upper attic room that he can't seem to figure out how to get to. Yeah. But I love how he's just like, well, that had to be something. Someone had to do that. That can't just happen. Um, so I got to find this room. There's got to And so he goes searching for it. I like how he just... It's not that hard to find, you know, he, he just, he's reasonable. That's one of the things I like about him. He's, he can be skeptical. He can look at it in an analytical eye while still saying, thinking to himself, you know, there's something that I don't understand entirely that's happening here that is maybe supernatural. He's open to the possibility even, but he's looking at it all with at least a moderately skeptical eye, you know, he's it, a healthy skepticism because okay. like, like when the medium gets there, I, I think he's watching for, does she have some sort of lever or something that is making this happen? You know, uh, I, I think, I think he is actually looking at this with a fair amount of, I've heard about these spiritualists over the years that Houdini or whoever debunked. And, you know, so I'm going to, he, so I, yes, I agree with you. I think he does believe that there's something weird happening that could be supernatural but at the same time he's not going to be just following any one willy-nilly because he doesn't want to get screwed over either i think yeah. you know he discovers the hidden doorway be inside that closet um sort of behind boarded up and the banging starts again while he's hammering on the I think that's kind of like yeah. letting him know the ghost, letting yeah. him know that he's like, yeah, you're, you're, that's, you're on the right you're track. You're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. I, that's the thing. And it's something that he says, even says later is it wants to be discovered. It wants him to know that it's, that he's there. It wants to communicate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I like that. So it's not, I'm trying to get rid of you or scare you away. Like so many ghost movies are. Sure. It's, I need your help because I can't communicate beyond what I'm doing right now. So I like that. The attic room is creepy as hell. It's like perfect um, spooky ghost shit, is it not? With the yeah. huge cobwebs. Huge cobwebs, yeah. Thick layer of dust on everything. Ugh. 
Yeah, I kind of love I mean, it. It's almost, <laughs> in a way, it 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 looks so good and so authentic. Mm-hmm. It almost is like, how did they do that to make that to film it? Because it looks like it really has been sitting there for a hundred years. Yeah, it does. You know, or or I guess seventy years. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, in the old fashioned wheelchair that's small and so creepy looking, the roll top desk, the journal. It says 1909, the little toy soldiers, all the little Mm -hmm. details, the music box that just so happens to play the tune that he composed recently on the piano. And I love it when he's playing them at the same time, the music box and the tape of him playing it on the piano. Mm -hmm. And Claire's there. It says it's uncanny. It's the same tempo it's even the same key i it's like and she said well this if it was a music box it had to have been a popular tune you must have heard it says i don't think so sure i've heard a lot of music but i didn't i cannot say that i've ever heard this before i recorded it and then he says the line you know everything that's happened has been designed to get me into that attic room yeah and, and he's right. I love that because like like I said, you know, Amityville, it was all about get out. <laughs> we don't want you, know. you here. Yeah. Yeah. Or even uninvited. It's like uninvited. You are not welcome in my house. <laughs> this is my house. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so that's sort of a ghost tradition. So it sort of flips it and says, no, I want to communicate with you. Uh, and I like that a lot. And then they start researching microfilm and there's microfilm yay <laughs> yay microfilm we love it i love how I the, lo- the severin blu-ray <laughs> when you put it we first put in the blu-ray too it's like a shot of them doing the microfilm and it's the fbi anti-piracy warning <laughs> in the style of microfilm i was like so much thank you i love that <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is it's it it knows my heart it does oh so, yeah <laughs> But, you know, even the historical society, you know, going through all the pages of, you know, pages, actual pages, you know, <laughs> not an internet search is, it's just so, I don't know. There's something about that tactile yeah. research sequence in a movie that I really like. And um, yes, I know microfilm is looking at a screen, but still you have to, you have to scroll through and it's finding it is really way hard. cooler. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we hear about this child, Cora Bernard, who was hit by a coal cart, and he, it was and an accident. Almost reminder exactly Kathy. like Kathy. Yeah. yeah. What's in that house, and why is it trying to reach me? Is it my daughter? <laughs> I can't go through all this again. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> well, the thing is, he says, "I can't go through all this again." While well, he's still going, he's through still going it. through. He can't it. even admit to himself that he's going through it still. And Claire just says, John, you've got to get out of that house. And he's, no, no. Because I think there is still, there's a, either there's sort of a stubbornness. I'm not going to let some damn ghost get rid of me. <laughs> and there, which I think is true. But I think there's also a sense of there is this something about that house that is like a connection to his family still. It's like a calling. He feels yeah, like he belongs there. Yeah, it's like if I if I do this, it will help me be able to let go as well. And then the ghost is sort of like it's messing with him a little bit. It's trying to get his attention. 
<laughs> but when he's looking through all those old pictures of his wife and daughter and the ball comes rolling down the stairs. What? How creepy is that? That is so I good. Mean, <laughs> It, the whole this whole sequence, or it's not. This whole sequence is like the be- this is the most famous <laughs> sequence in the movie. Yeah. First of all, because it's not just the ball coming down the stairs. It's then him driving to a bridge, throwing the ball over into the water, coming back home, and the ball comes back. And the ball comes rolling <laughs> down the stairs. <laughs> what? Again. Yeah. How it, freaking cool it's... is that? And again, it's with it's his. I think it's his reaction to it too. Yeah. Is what kind of really helps uh sell this yeah and then uh, yeah. later on with claire in the wheelchair is like those reactions are are, <laughs> are just amazing they sell uh, they it sell because it. even the wheel the wheel the wheelchairs is is far more you know it's far more extreme it's sort of like that that's crazy <laughs> yeah. that doesn't happen right it's, it's not quite you know the wheelchair in nightmare on elm street three or something <laughs> like that but it's uh it's creepy um but you know, he consults the psychic research colleague over at the university, and uh, they have a medium come to their house. Now, I think that the this husband and wife medium team here is inspired by Ed and Lorraine Warren. Really? I think it is, because they had become pretty famous in sort of that world, you know, sort of the psychic research world by this time, because of Amityville. So uh, I have a feeling that at least the the female media, she at least seems to have similarities to Lorraine Warren, the automatic mm-hmm. writing and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's just a guess, but I, I kind of got that vibe. And we love a seance scene and we love a medium's. We love a seance scene. medium scene in a movie. But what I kind of like about this one, This is one of the best seance scenes in a movie. But I like that they're not, it's not like the orphanage. It's not like Poltergeist or whatever where you really get, it's not about them. It keeps it about John because there's not like a big Mm -hmm. speech or something from the medium. It's just her relaying the information that the ghost can't like directly give John somehow yeah you know it's not really it's not about them it's still about him because you know we don't even yeah. really get to know i don't even know what their names are or anything so is they don't, i don't know if they even say yeah uh, if they do it's very quick and it doesn't really matter yeah. you know that much because it's it, yeah um i do like that they keep on cutting back to john mm-hmm. and to claire to some extent and they're both just like stoic yeah they're like okay we're 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 receptive to this, but again, I think there's a healthy skepticism, especially with John, because he's like, you know, he's just watching them both. I think very carefully. He's extremely yeah. observant person. He's, but he doesn't want, he doesn't want the wool pulled over his eyes. You know what I sure. mean? I, I so I think, and which is also I think why he records it. He asks him, can I record this? And they are perfectly happy to have him record this, which is probably like is a good sign. You know, they're not that they're not charlatans, you know. Yeah. To in in this situation. Um, But just the words. This sequence is so great because I mean, automatic writing is a is a kind of a 
weird thing, but that's a real thing, you know, is they'll, they'll go into a trance and they'll just sort of write and then words will sometimes appear. Sometimes they won't or pictures or yeah. I mean, sometimes, but even with automatic writing, there's something that's like, Oh, that could be made up. You know, you know, you could be acting and it's like, Oh, Joseph, Joseph, you know, or whatever. <laughs> that's a, that's a name. Well, but when he's, uh, he, I think, yeah, maybe he is sitting there a little skeptical of them, but I think he does start to believe because they think the ghost is Cora. Yes. They don't. That's when, right. When, so when they bring out the word Joseph, I think is when he starts to, I think he believes that yeah. a little bit more. Because they know? do ask, are you Cora? Are you the girl hit by the coal cart? Uh, and no yeah. is what comes up. And then um, I like this. And, oh, and the medium's she says, voice to like that monotone like super mm-hmm. i don't know something about it is like super freaky like did you die in this house joseph love it yeah Ugh. yeah well and, the, and he says to her before they even start with the automatic writing the presence is reaching out to you through your loss yeah which is you know the why me why is it why is it trying to get me why isn't it try to speak to you know, the people that lived here 12 years ago, whatever. You know, Joseph, did you die in this house, Joseph? How did you die? Yeah. <laughs> but the best part of it is <clears throat> there's no sort of closing up of the wrapping up of the seance scene. It just ends. And he's in the house alone. No, okay. One of my favorite parts. And he listens to the recording. I love that. Go ahead. Well, before that, one of my favorite parts of this uh, this seance scene is when the big silver cone is yeah. on the table and it's like bouncing around. And like you said, uh, John and Claire are still looking pretty like stoic, but Claire's mother is sitting there and she looks fucking terrified. And it's like kind of yeah. funny if you see the watch her in the background. That's <laughs> She's true. freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> Because because that's that that's some weird shit they're it saying is. there, yeah. Um, but I do like that. There's no pleasantries at the end. It's just no mm-hmm. shoe leather to fill in blanks. It doesn't matter. It just cuts it out. Cuts directly to him. Just sort of. First of all, I think he's just sort of like mulling over. Oh my god, what just happened? <laughs> what yeah. did I just experience here? And then playing the tape back and hearing the voice on the tape. I remember this freaking me out like so bad oh. when I first saw this movie. <laughs> it's so it's so great, effective. Though. When it when it says, "You know, how did you die?" and he hears the word "father" mm-hmm. from a child's voice, and and then before the words that are written, he hears the words Joseph. said by the Joseph, <laughs> and then and then you hear the guy's voice reading what she wrote, Joseph. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something external of them uh and and this is kind of the proof of it and yeah. it's yeah and then joseph carmichael comes across um oh the, it's, again with his reaction wonderful the way he just lets a cigarette drop too because he's like yeah I what know. the fuck <laughs> it's and perfect. then he goes over to call claire <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, he picks up the phone to call claire and he's just like hi claire sorry to, and he just passes out dead away is just like <laughs> wow it's it's i have always appreciated george c scott but uh, for me i think this movie uh, is just what he's doing here is it's unsung because it's underseen and it's a you know it's a horror movie so i mean how good could it be right wow. that's uh that's, that's just people's attitude you know what i mean 
And but he's astonishing and just astounding in this movie. He's given ever bit as good of a performance, if not better, here than he is in Patton, you know, or or you know, it, it's a different. And think of think of the difference between this one and Doctor Strangelove. I how mm-hmm. those are galaxies apart as far as performance goes. So that it's the same guy, you know, then hardcore yeah. and all the other stuff yeah, that was yeah, coming yeah. around around this time. Uh, even Firestarter, <laughs> you know, uh, he's totally wrong. He's totally miscast he, as, as a Native American. He's miscast as a Native American, but he's still good, <laughs> good in the role. So what do you know? Uh, but I love him as Scrooge. His his Scrooge is probably my favorite Scrooge. I, I think he's terrific in that. And then we've and already a television about, movie. Yeah. yeah, we've already talked about young George C. Scott in like Anatomy of a Murder. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> Another good. Yeah. Anyway, but she listens to the. T- she can hear it too. So it's not. It's sort of an objectivity sure. to it. Um, and then you and just hear her about sobbing sleep. after yeah. listening to it too. Like it's. That just brings yeah, such she's an emotional, so emotional, such an emotional weight to this whole story—the mm-hmm. ghost story and his story. Yeah, and then you know they, we hear about Sacred Heart, how it used to be a county orphanage, and then the wheelchair appears at the top of the stairs. Wheelchairs dun, dun, dun. and balls are scary <laughs> in this movie. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, now uh, Spencer Carmichael Tower uh, that is actually the Rainier Tower that is actually in Seattle uh, on Fifth Avenue right across the street from the Fifth Avenue Theater you can see the theater in the background the marquee of it but it was like a restaurant or something at the time <laughs> uh, it was it's since been restored back into a theater which is really nice. cool great theater um, but that building that's got sort of like the weird base on it <laughs> is uh, mm-hmm. it's it has it looks like they call it the Beaver Building because it looks like it's been chewed by a beaver. <laughs> um, but it's still there. It's nice. still there and looks pretty much exactly the same. And you can also see this church in the background. It's a beautiful church's white stone. Uh, it, it, it's lovely. Um, so that's all all still there. It, it looks a little different. There's some restaurants on the other side that are gone now. But um, but yeah. Have you done I, like your own little changeling tour? Well, there's not Seattle. that much that's actually in <laughs> Seattle. I, I, I so I'd, I've just been to that corner a billion times because we used to go to the Fifth Avenue every month. So I nice. would, I would see all that stuff. It's just like right there, <clears throat> and I, 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 that little block there is a cool uh, little area. Um, but yeah, the only other thing that I think is actually in Seattle besides the airport, which is SeaTac Airport, is the graveyard. And I have never been to that graveyard. It's where Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee are buried. Oh, though, cool. yeah. And it's like literally right behind the the monument that they're looking at, which is not there uh, anymore. When the oh, when they go so, to the, the family mm-hmm. grave, yeah, site, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's all on the on the DVD. There's a little um, tourist thing that takes oh. you to the different locations. I didn't watch that's that. that's it's cool. one of the special features on there. Um. Anyway, um, so this is where they figure out the story, the whole story, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Now, Minnie, being <sighs> the little meddler that she is, calls up Senator Carmichael and says they've found the file and they've been uh, snooping around and they're on to you, bro. So, again, with like, kind of, we know what's 
happening later on in the movie uh does he just at least suspect something and he's got people covering it up for him because he acts like he doesn't know he he acts like he doesn't know but and but this kind of stuff he would be he would be he would have been you know like six or so right and then he wouldn't have even really come back to the United States from Switzerland until he was 18, right? Uh-huh. So did he even really know his father that well? Or his uh, adoptive father, you know, the person he mm-hmm. was raised by. Uh, was his father with him in that's the que- I Switzerland think that, the whole time when he was growing up? And he was just like, that I don't hey, know. you're my I, son, <laughs> kind of thing? Yeah. Maybe? That could be, you know, just planting all this in him. But it seems like he's got people like Minnie and Captain DeWitt like covering stuff up for him. So it makes me think that he, yeah. he knows something's not right. Maybe. I sure. don't know. I don't know. And it's it's been 70 years. So, I mean, that's a long time. Uh, <laughs> but I, I wondered about that, too, especially when you get to the ending sequence. Yeah. If he, if he really or if he's just like had it so ingrained that he is joseph carmichael yeah. that he just kind of short circuits that it's not him you know but he believes it's probably true um i don't know i don't know but um he goes they go to the house that's now on the carmichael ranch that used to be there mrs gray it's one of the um, things that the ghost said yeah. on the recording was my body yeah. the well yeah. my father the well. the well yeah so they found the well uh, the dot. Now, the the one thing I, I the voice of Joseph sounds like an adult woman. Um, it does voiceover. That's yeah. one of the things that bothers me. A does it really tiny, sound like a little tiny, boy. tiny, tiny, tiny bit? Yeah, it, it doesn't quite sound right, but it's it's fine. I, I'm willing to give it a pass. <laughs> <laughs> but the daughter sees the vision of Joseph down in the well, and oh. so yeah. Because at first he's like, you want to dig up my room? I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like what when they're first talking to her, Mm -hmm. when she's like, I'm not sure if I believe you, but, you know, there was this thing that happened on the night that they did the seance. Right. I like that it's just her telling the story, but and you don't really like get the vision because she says that like her daughter saw this small sickly boy like coming up through the floor. And we do get. You know, the daughter sees something kind of in the next scene when she wakes up in yeah. the middle of the night and everything. Yeah. But I like yeah. that that description is not, is just it left as a story and not like a visual. So that kind of gives yeah. you a chance to make your own visual, which it yeah. makes me think of something like really creepy seeing like some kind of like an app, like half an apparition, like coming out and reaching up from the floor or something. It's one of the rare situations where I think tell rather than show really yeah. works for the movie. Absolutely. And that doesn't always work, obviously. So, um, yeah. So I love it when they, when after she sees the vision, the next cut is the way this is edited. is just him taking the chainsaw to the yeah, floor, know. you know, like, okay, like, yeah, okay well, so yeah, go for it. Go for there's it. Something there. and, there's so- and, and her son is helping them out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is great. And so they dig it up. They find the well. He finds the skeleton down in there. Um, but he still thinks, is, and the, the police ask, you know, do you have any idea who the child is? And he says, no, not nope. really. And well, he thinks without the Saints medal, you know, that it's not going to be enough proof. Um, so he, why he 
decides to go back and break into the house is a little strange. I know. <laughs> but he goes and he breaks into the house. He's still but sifting again, it's through. another cool moment of the movie. Though. It is a cool moment. <laughs> but and and just the most simple, simple effect you can imagine. Just a reverse. Just shot. a reverse shot with with the metal coming up through the dirt. Yeah, it's so eerie. It's but it looks so cool. It's really effective, um, really good, really good. And then J- John trying to stop Carmichael at the airport. Not like a smart thing to do at all <laughs> to go when, yelling at a senator, senator at the airport. Yeah. That's a good way to get yourself killed, John. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the Secret Service waving the metal around. I know who you are. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You, yeah. That's not. Yeah. Um, but then we do see that as the plane's taking off, he, the senator pulls out the metal. He has yeah. an identical metal. Uh, John goes back to the house and all the doors slam on him. Now, this is another moment where I really feel like you feel his grief, where he just shouts to. Joseph, you know, he's acknowledging that this is the case mm-hmm. for sure. He's like, what is it you want? What do you want from me? I've done everything I can do. There's nothing more to do. Which he knows is not true. Yeah. But just the way the camera pulls back from him and in that giant house, he just looks so small as it as it sort of retreats from him you're almost in the ghost's point of view like you're you see this man you're a little bit pissed off with him but you're also (laughs) compassionate for him there's a lot going on in just that simple shot the ghost is i think pushing just a little bit getting like kind of frustrated and yeah angry yeah yeah Yeah, well he just looks so like not yeah not wanting to hurt john but just being Mm -hmm. like yeah you're not quite done yet (laughs) It's almost like a reflection of when he's inside the phone booth at the beginning of the movie. There's just nothing else I can do. There's nothing I could do. I'm helpless. So, I, yeah, it's really good. And then Captain DeWitt comes to question him um, and accuses John of blackmailing the senator, which is something. He just wants his medal back. He just wants his medal back, yeah. And Claire coming in, they've canceled your lease. I've been fired. Um, I'll see what I can find out and let you know. She just kind of comes in, <laughs> says it, and leaves. I know, you know. Uh, but you know, she's she's frustrated. She's like, she's like, I have never been so angry in my life, you know. And then it's like, oh, this is uh, Mr. Dewitt or Captain Dewitt or whatever. And uh, it's like, oh, hi. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but then John, after that, he's in the house alone again, and and the mirror shatters in his face. And he gets that vision of DeWitt inside a car with the glass shattered. And the next scene is he's dead. Again, Claire has seen the accident. It's like it raises questions. Did Joseph, like, kill the guy? You know? I think so. <laughs> I mean, Honestly. Yeah. And, and which I think John makes John go, okay, maybe there is more I can do. Because um, she know. says, like, there's... There's nothing else around that could have made this happen. And the car was just upside down in the middle of the road. Something unnatural happening there made me think that, yeah, I think the ghost Mm -hmm. did do it somehow. Yeah. So um, it's like its anger Mm -hmm. is just gotten to a level where it's able to 
push out into the world a little more. Again, um, with the ghost like having a bit more of a reach than just yeah, your typical just haunted house, house yeah. movie. It's not just confined yeah. to this house because his body is in a well somewhere mm-hmm. else, but he died, you know, in the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And from there, it just kind of barrels towards the ending, yeah. which is, you know, John is able to meet with the senator. But when they when he pulls into the like, my gosh, that guy's rich. He pulls into like that castle where he lives. Right. Yeah. They go back to the Chessman Park house and the light comes on in the attic. Mm-hmm. It's just a quick shot. And then he basically sums up the whole thing, sure. what he's learned for Carmichael. And the senator sits down to write him a check. How much do you want? I've run into people like, exactly. Yeah. People like you, years. Yeah. Oh, I always want something. And he's he's, the line that John returns. I don't want your money. He's like, you're, you're the beneficiary of the worst kind of murder. Murder Murder for for profit. profit. Yeah. When George C. Scott gets gruff, (laughs) murder for profit. Yeah. Love it. Um, It makes you feel really bad. (laughs) Well, and then Carmichael is just like, don't you dare slander my father. I mean, he's just so, he's so insistent that it is his father. So like what you were saying before, I think rings true that he doesn't know for sure that he was switched out. But maybe maybe he suspects something. Yeah. Because you know that like. He suspects enough, especially when he's holding both medals in his hands. There's tons of stories of like adopted kids who aren't told the truth and not really feeling Mm. like they don't belong. They not really feeling like they belong in their family. You you have to imagine that's 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 what makes me think that's what's been going on with him. Like maybe he doesn't know the full story, but he sensed probably his whole life that something wasn't quite right. So he's not completely guilty. Um, Right. Of anything really, <laughs> but that but at the same time, he you know, still feels like he owes a debt. Yeah, yeah and there's, I, I do like how John just is like you, you. All you need to do is you know do what you can now that you are a person of privilege and power to make it right. Yeah, acknowledge that your family line has ended, and that you're not you're not actually the son of you know, Carmichael, but instead it's not necessarily going to change ever. It's not going to ruin him necessarily. Well, everything that I, he has is built is off of inherited. a lie. Yeah, yeah, it's built on a lie. So, I mean, that's the fear, but he's also what, like 600 years old. <laughs> so you can't take it with you. You know, um, I, I think there would be maybe something called into question, like would it go on to his children or sure. whatever, you know, there, that sort of thing. Um, but John, you know, he doesn't want the money. He, he leaves the evidence for him, the tapes, the, and the, uh, the file, he puts Mm -hmm. it on his desk and he leaves. I mean, there's no, it's like, I, I'm not looking for money here. I'm doing all right. So that's kind of just proof to the Senator. I think then that he's not blackmailing him. He's just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what helps convince him. Go morality, go integrity. I I, sure. I, I like those. That's that's nice. Um, I'm just trying to figure out like the financial stuff here. Then, so I know technically, yeah, whatever whatever family that he would have gone on to you know make for himself later was none. They wouldn't have any of that money because mm-hmm. it wasn't even. It was his his father's wife's family's money, right? Yeah. 
because it would have right. gone to mm. the dead Joseph. Right. Yeah, so they wouldn't have anything, probably. <laughs> there you go. There's a lot going on that I probably haven't fully even grasped <laughs> yet, because I, I really have focused more, I think, on the grieving element of this movie over the years, yeah. rather than sort of the nuts and bolts of the of all that. But I'm just thinking um, out loud. No, you're right. You're right. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, because remember- he has... He has to have something to lose here yeah. in order to be so tormented, you know? I think that's what it is. He has to have that realization that everything he has every, was not truly earned, you know, and that kind of devastation of his, his whole life being a lie. Yeah. And I think for someone like him, that's tough to take. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's, I think he, even though he <laughs> was raised with privilege, he thinks of himself as a self-made man, right, exactly. perhaps. Yeah. Even though he's clearly not you know even if he <laughs> even if he was you know joseph the real joseph you he they were born into privileged yes. worlds here Absolutely. um so um but i think the more wealth you have the harder it is to give that up you know i uh-huh. there's no I, I have no doubt about that which is why the most charitable charitable people tend not to be the richest people. It's a very fascinating yeah. thing. Um, so there are exceptions to that, of course. There are exceptions to that. There there are some very generous, wealthy people, but then there are some that... And it tends to be people who, like, really did build their own businesses and, and, and create, quote-unquote, create the wealth. You know, that it's those are the rich people that tend to be more charitable, whereas people who inherit it, not so much. It's a very fascinating thing. My mom has told me about this sort of stuff <laughs> as an accountant. Uh, she, like the she, it's old sort of money versus new money yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so anyway, when Claire goes back to the house at Chessman Park, the door opens before she knocks. Uh-huh. The ghost is pissed. <laughs> um, yes, he is. She hears John's voice, but it is not John's voice. So Joseph is apparently now able to mimic John even. And Her that, standing at the bottom of the stairs just being like, I don't want to go up there. I was like, girl, exactly. I feel you. <laughs> I wouldn't either. And then the wheelchair just coming what? out and starts chasing her. <laughs> I mean, this is about as... Uh, this ending, I mean, is, is like the... It, it just... It kind of goes a little bonkers compared to the rest of the movie. Yeah, everything has you been know, like really subtle, like subtle. hunting stuff. <laughs> yeah, up until now, this. Now we're just like, nope, <laughs> nope, forget it. Uh, this wheelchair is gonna chase her. Uh, and like you get from the wheelchair's point of view. Yeah. yeah, oh, it's totally omen stuff. You know, like where he <laughs> falls off the banister and yeah. stuff later. <laughs> uh, the chandelier swinging around and the wind. What you know, John comes back and he sort of, sort of saves her. You know, the and and he's heading up the stairs and the fire starts coming down the banisters and everything. And he's saying like, Joseph, no, like because he yeah. knows he's pissed. <laughs> yeah. Then then it cuts back to the senator staring at the two metals his desk starts shaking and then all of a sudden it's like he's in the house uh and uh he's walking up the stairs john and claire leave but then it cuts back and carmichael's still actually in his office as the attic he has in his 
vision and his, I don't know what you want to call it, his astral projection. I think that's what's going on. Whatever is going on is like, there's a lot of interesting sort of paranormal things that are were discussed a lot at the time that aren't really explained that are just depicted in this movie and and astral projection is one of them and it, it's it's a fascinating thing because then when the the house blows up he just drops dead yeah something you know. with the metal i think the ghost is definitely yeah. tied to the metal yeah. and like hypnotizes yeah. him somehow to i don't know yeah. Well, and Carmichael sees the vision. He knows that it's true. Yeah. He sees the vision of he his father that. killing Joseph, drowning him in the tub. I love when the stairs yeah. like fall away to The um, stairs fall fire. down behind oh. him. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's just the house is burned down. It's quiet. John is presumably going to move in with Claire. I just... <laughs> They're going to get married. They're going to get married and live happily ever after. They are. Even though it doesn't <laughs> say any of that, I just want that to be the case. I so know, much. right? Because um, they're wonderful. They do survive. I do like that. It doesn't really send them off into the world. Oh, we're all safe and everything is glorious now, or anything like that. That it's not that. It's not so silly as that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Instead, this ending is really haunting. I mean, you know, it's a ghost movie, so obviously it should be, but. <laughs> Yeah, but the showing the wheelchair, the burnt up wheelchair. Yeah, and then the music box pops open, and the music starts playing. It's still where it wasn't consumed in the fire. So, does that mean Joseph is free, or does it mean he's his spirit is simply released and he can now wander? Is that Joseph, or is that the senator? Too. Oh, there you go. If they were, if they were technically, he's the changeling and they were switched. Yeah. Are they all, are they switched also in the afterlife? <laughs> Whoa. And he's now, haunting now. Now. Now, you're, now you're getting, yeah. Well, apparently <laughs> in the Cheeseman Park haunting story, the house was destroyed. Yeah. But so the, things yes. were never completely uh-huh. resolved. So. There's in actual Cheeseman Park, there are like play areas and stuff. And there is reports of a child playing with an antique ball with Mm -hmm. the other children and then (laughs) vanishing. That's such a cool story. That's like, okay, just And piano playing in the building that now is on that land and stuff in an apartment that doesn't have a piano. Just the the park part of the story with like, it Mm -hmm. used to be a cemetery there. And like the guy that was supposed to move the bodies. Yeah. Very poltergeist. As I was thinking, I was like, that's a poltergeist shit. You You move the headstones, headstones, but you did not the bodies. (laughs) Cause the guy in that, um, special feature says that there's still like a couple thousand bodies in there. In the ground. That's crazy. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> and so you can still see. You can still it, see it, graves. That like like gra- the, the depressions and yeah. the grass gets greener there first and <laughs> creepy stuff. That's such a um, cool story. <laughs> it is. It is. I love the way the guy tells it. He's very eccentric. He is. I love him. <laughs> He's just a wild guy. But man, I, I dug that. Just the way he tells the story is yeah. so animated. Um, so the Severn Blu-rays of this movie. If you like this movie, it's well worth getting the Severn Absolutely. Blu-ray. 
yeah um there's lots of great stuff on there um not just the backstory but you know interview with the composer uh there's a peter medic's um uh commentaries on it um so there's there's lots of good stuff on it uh that is fun to watch yeah anyway that what a what a picture what a ghost movie one of the best out there it really is and unfortunately still i think underseen Um, people that know it love it yeah (laughs) it's true it's true they really do yeah, because, I mean, it, it, when you talk about the conversation of ghost movies, I mean, it's, you know, hey, poltergeist or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> well, and I like with, with these two as well, there's with Sir of Echoes and the Changeling, they work so well together, but they also just kind of shows like the different ways that you can present Very it. Very different Because in Sir of Echoes, you yeah. can actually see the ghost. And uh-huh. yeah, she's doing kind of like the jerky thing that was kind of popular around the time this time for movies like it i still think it it works pretty well in this or you can do it like in the changeling where you don't actually you don't see like a no you don't actually see a ghost yeah you see like visions of what happened to him and like visions of him you know in the in the well or drowning yeah but it's not like a an apparition like yeah uh, like you're used to and this both are just as effective absolutely and so yeah this is this is up there as far as my favorite ghost movies ever um but next time we're going to present a a a little bonus episode where it's not necessarily our favorite top ones it is 10 ghost movies each because because (laughs) yeah because there are some I think I'm going to admit that are my favorite, but we just kind of yeah. want to, I think, highlight other ones. Let me make it clear. The Innocents <laughs> and The Changeling exactly. are yeah. my favorites. Um, the ones we were to talk about would absolutely yeah, be on that list. Yeah, but. Absolutely. Uh, and there's some like The Haunting I don't plan on including. I think that's too big of a movie. Yeah. Um, but there's lots of underseen films i think that or ones that have fallen out of the conversation that are worth uh bringing up and having a little bit of a fun discussion because yeah 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 (laughs) so it's sort of gonna be a way to end the month just like we started it with our ghost or not with our halloween um movies because (laughs) and so we're ending with specifically with ghost movies since we've covered uh so many during this time yeah it's been fun that has been fun i do love me some spooky season this year yeah uh it's absolutely been my jam and (laughs) uh and technically we're recording this (laughs) and spooky season hasn't technically even started well tomorrow (laughs) till tomorrow so uh (laughs) hey we've got a whole month of ghost movies and horror movies and whatever else we want to watch him to to go before we before we get there so it's just been good to talk about them especially ghost movies because i love them so much i do too i do too it's brought up some ones i'd love to show my family during the month that i think would be fun um they've never seen poltergeist which is crazy i saw poltergeist when i was like six None of them, and and they're my youngest is thirteen. So oh, yeah, come none on, of them it's have, way past none, time for them to see none poltergeist. of them have seen poltergeist. So, <laughs> um, 
so real quick, uh, social media. I'm at Brian Waves 42 on things. <laughs> I am just on the one thing, Instagram, <laughs> Michelle Egan. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Life Pod for the time being. And we <laughs> hope that you'll give us a follow. But even more importantly, with the changes happening in social media, if you could uh, give us a rate and review, give us a subscribe on on whatever podcast app yeah. you're listening to the show on uh, that helps raise our profile so that maybe more people will check it out and discover it. Uh, spooky season tends to be a favorite for people with us. Uh, they like, they like, like us talking about horror, they do. Yeah, which is great, which is great. But Hey, our ballet episode is like number two yes. of all time. So, <laughs> hey. I love that. <laughs> or, or, or no courtrooms. Courtrooms is, way, is, is it, way up there. Yeah. Um, but our number one is still Midnight Mass, so uh, and probably will be for a while. Um, that's still shocking, anyway, but that's awesome. Yeah, I know, I know it's like our longest episode ever, and people just wanted to listen to us talk about Midnight Mass, so that's great. Oh, we love you guys. Yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for listening. We really do greatly appreciate it. And um, shout out to Jerry Smith for writing our theme music and to Cheeto Pebanito for creating our artwork. Yeah. And so what are we going to do? We will see you all next time. In the afterlife. Happy haunting. <laughs> Happy haunting. Hey,